Hello and welcome back to the Football Index podcast, episode 119, a psychology special. Uh, on the last show, I had Chris Harris, who is a PR and comm specialist. I hardly spoke throughout the show. It was great. I didn't have to do much hosting. But today I'm joined in person, in person, by two returning guests, uh, and the first of which is Sam Friedman, or these days FI Sam, or Sam FI. Yeah, my new uh, Twitter account for FI. <laughs> How's that going? Uh, it's an interesting community, isn't it, on Twitter? <laughs> Enjoying it lots. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, no, nothing, else, nothing to add on that. I wouldn't say it's a long time coming because I kind of enjoyed your uh, political slash educational yeah. account every now talking about virtual match attacks. Yeah, I, um, I, it's true. Um, the politics one, though, gets got rough enough that I can deal with the uh, with anything the football one has to throw at me now. So. Yeah, because I think you try and stay quite neutral, on neutral grounds on the political thing, but still get into scraps. So. Oh, all the time. Yeah, so basically can't. FI's the same. Yeah, Twitter. yeah, you can't, social media is always like that because it's not like meeting people in person and you can sense tone, it's people are always looking for a fight, so... Well, you heard a little chuckle earlier uh, there, and we're also joined by FI Sigmund Freund. Hi, how are you doing? Not too bad, not too bad. Um, h- how are you guys feeling about FI at the moment? Um, yeah, I'm feeling, um, I'm looking forward to the transfer window finishing. <laughs> uh, I've decided to play the transfer spec game, and it's fun, stressful, and just really looking back to getting back to normal trading, whatever that is, I guess. Yeah, I did not play the transfer spec game at all. I just can't stand it. So I'm, uh, I'm also just waiting for that to be over and to get on with the rest of the season. Well, especially when halfway through the announcement is that transfers are actually worth more. It kind of, you know, pivots the table to some extent. Yeah, yeah though weirdly, I think that has had a, a negative effect on the value of some yeah. transfer players because, because of this one pound uh, rule that they created... Um, so when some players have got near one pound, people have started bailing out of them because they're worried other people are going to bail out of them. So it's actually had a suppression effect on 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 transfers that I think in other situations would have gone well above a pound. So it's a weird one. Yeah, and I thought what initially I thought the dividend would be the thing that people chased. So the ninety p range players, mm-hmm. but actually what we saw I think was it created a weird incentive that actually the seventy p players. You make more from the rise of them going towards 90p or a pound than the actual dividend itself. So it really, crazy. Yeah, and it was just weird because I think there's already enough hype around transfers. I'm not quite sure why, why they went for that. I think they should have done it way earlier. I think I said this on the pod um, last week, but I, I just there is no morsel of logic in 13 days into a transfer window announcing that dividends. It, it just, I just, I just can't wrap my head around it. And I, and I do understand that everything that if I do, there is a reason for it. Even if it's, I, in my opinion, something that I disliked, there must have been a reason why it was delayed or etc. Like we don't know what happens behind those doors. But for me, it was kind of at that point. If it isn't broke, don't fix it. And if you want to kind of fix it, then it has to be in a more yeah, I mean, I guess that they they probably saw a lot of new sign-ups and were thinking, how do we sort of encourage these guys to get more involved? Um, but actually, by creating something that complicated, it, I don't think it, it helped new traders get the hang of it. So. Well, and of course, the fact that only like three or four players have been... Yeah, well, I did out. point out on the first day they did it, it was like there actually haven't been any transfers that would have been eligible for right. this at all yet in the window. So 
you know, be careful with it. And I guess the, the T's and C's to some extent fooled some people, you know, going to... Well, people were buying 30p goalkeepers yeah. and, you know, without looking at the pound. But even if you read the terms and conditions, it, I, it was quite confusing of if it had to be within the top five leagues or if it was an outside to the top five. And I think there was a few different wordings out there, which... Um, yeah, I guess I just the confusion. Yeah, uh, but you know, on a more positive note, lots of new users, as you mentioned, Sam. Mm. What are your top tips for them at the moment? If you this is the first ever Figcast that you've listened to, which mm. if you are, welcome and go back through the last one one eight. Um, but what would your top tips be? My 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 biggest tip um, is to have a theory of value. It's to understand why you think players are worth certain amounts. Just don't just follow other people into buying people without understanding why you're doing it, which means you need to read the rules, you need to really think about, about the whole structure of the platform and why a player would be worth um, what they're currently worth. Um, and that way you're going to avoid accidentally jumping on a, on a trend player and getting caught when they're at their peak, um, which is, I think, the biggest risk when you're a new player and you're not quite sure uh, why players are worth different amounts. Um, yeah, I'd probably say, I think if I was starting now, I'd buy a few different players at different price points and just watch them for a while just to see what causes different players to move um, and then try and pair that with how I want to use the index. So if I have a lot of time, I might go more for short-term trading. If I am quite analytical and I don't have a lot of time, I might go more for looking at stats as opposed to trends. Um, so yeah, I think... Ha- just sampling and dipping your toe into a few different strategies to then work out what works for you is probably a good starting point. I guess the other thing I'd add is um, ask as many dumb questions as you can on, online. Generally speaking, I think the community is really good and is quite happy to help people. Um, so don't be shy to ask because everyone was a new trader at one stage. I think that is such good advice for people and it's something I've been using a lot recently when people ask me and send me screenshots of their portfolio and they're like how am I doing and it's like it doesn't really matter because right. you've just started like this idea that you were going to stick 10 quid in and become rich overnight I think there's that perception and expectation thing that people really need to shift and maybe FI need to shift to some extent but when people first start on the platform it really is like getting the grasp of those basics and understanding the market and what makes players rise and fall and then actually you can kind of start to build a portfolio because you have to do it in layers you have to understand the all the rules and technicalities of the market first like why do players move around and what's pb and what's mb and then you have to understand the psychology uh, of why people move around unrelated to their actual value and it takes a lot of time um, and you do need to make a bit of an investment of time to, so you don't want to go in too hard too quickly you do want to um, play around a bit and understand it. The layers are like the mechanics, the market, and then your strategy, isn't it? Right, and I think, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, thought of that off the top of my head, by the way. Very impressive. No, because the reason I've been thinking about um, how to kind of word that, and I'm glad that light bulb moment has come right now, is because I've been doing the, the kind of beginner's guides on YouTube for a while, but actually understanding the mechanics, the base game rules is only a third of it, right? Mm. Um, that next layer of like understanding how the market works and then digging into data, getting, you know, not informed opinions, but like thinking about other people's opinions and how that kind of behavioral psychology side of things helps motor this thing along is super important. I think it's been on my list to create a intermediate in brackets mm, guide yeah, to football right. index and, and that's probably yeah. going to be one of the ideas, one of the videos that I'll come out with soon. So keep an eye out on that. But we've got a uh, 
two or three miscellaneous questions. And I've started adding comments in there because when, <laughs> when I had Chris Harris on the podcast last week, got no miscellaneous questions, just loads of really nice comments about him, um, <laughs> which was funny. But We Rab on the forum, Football Index Forum, says, are there any books yous would both recommend to help with the psychology of trading? Sorry, I've, I've butchered that. I'm presuming that person is perhaps from Newcastle, maybe. Yeah. Um, do you want to do it in a Geordie accent? I will not attempt that. I either friend someone or make myself look stupid. <laughs> or it'd be really funny, but I'm not going to try. Um, I know you guys read a lot, so Sam, why don't you, you've, on the last couple of shows you've been on, you've recommended a few books. Yeah, so I, I'm, I've, it's actually been really nice over the last sort of year since I did it, having quite a few people saying they read some of the books I recommended, particularly um, Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman, which is my favourite book. Um, and I think everyone should read regardless of whether they're trading footballers or otherwise, but certainly helps you think about the psychology of, um, of how we make decisions and all of the cognitive biases that we have when we're making decisions. Um, and uh, you know, I think a lot of people have really enjoyed that you know, beyond their, their trading. Um, so I would continue to recommend that to people who haven't read it. But I would also, as like a next one on from that, um, really, and I've mentioned it before, but I um, would recommend a book called um, Super Forecasting by a guy called Philip Tetlock. Because what he does is take it almost on a step and say, OK, we know about these cognitive biases that have been discovered by behavioural psychologists. Uh, let's look at who, let's just look at all the people out there who are really good at making predictions, which is after all what we're all trying to do when we're on the index. We're all just making predictions all the time about how things will happen. Um, and looks at how you can um, adapt your thinking to make better predictions based on the people he's discovered who are very good at making predictions. Um, so I think it's, a, it's perhaps a more practical, uh, some more practical tips that, that are transferable to, to trading. Um, I'd go for a book that I've reread since joining uh, FI. Um, I'd probably go for a book called uh, The Signal and the Noise. Um, which is by a guy called Nate Silver. I see Sam nodding. Okay, that's a good sign. I must admit, I only understood about a half to two thirds of it because he talks about lots of different areas, but like, that's probably enough. Um, and one of the things I found quite interesting about that is each chapter looks at different predictions, be it poker, sport, hurricane forecasting, um, all these different areas. And this big concept of A, thinking in terms of probability as opposed to yes or no, uh, and just this concept really of like being aware of what stuff you don't know um, because if you're aware of what you don't know at least that kind of guards against overconfidence um, and you can talk in terms of likelihood as opposed to it being very binary and this will or won't happen um, so yeah that's probably the one I'd go for uh, I know this was not a question for me but I recently started reading Principles by Ray Dalio um, which, is, which is pretty good because um, I read a, an article that he wrote on LinkedIn it was kind of like the economy is broken or like I don't know if you've read it Sam yeah. but it was like he, he just kind of talked about like how uh, the kind of market in, in the worldwide is kind of like broken uh, and, and needs a lot of fixing but yeah his, his book's super good it's a, a lot about kind of his life and how he uh, how he kind of perfected his his thinking which is, is pretty good enjoying it so far uh, Aaron Palace here Statement, no question. The level of IQ here is going to activate a part of my brain that has never functioned before. Um, 
hoping I can contribute to that, but you talk. I, I assume he was talking about Sam, <laughs> Sam. Is, is what I was assuming. You've there. had the light bulb, but <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, there you I go. said the smartest thing so far on the show, maybe. Um, but what was that thing about like your brain? You can only use like a certain percentage of your brain. It's not true. Is it not, not true? true. It's not a true. myth. That there's a myth that you can only use ten percent of your brain. It's not true. Well, so you're true. telling me the yeah. film? Right. <laughs> <laughs> you're telling me the film Limitless is bullshit. Quite possibly, <laughs> but yeah, it's an amazing film. But it's nonsense, yeah. Um, the other one of that. So um, you're telling me there's no pills out there that are going to suddenly make me know French like overnight? Sadly, no. Uh, <laughs> I was hanging on to hope <laughs> in desperation. Um, that's that's funny though. I'm sure I'm sure Aaron Palace will cope. So we we use all of our brain then. That's 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 true. Yeah, like essentially, if you only use ten percent of any organ. You'd be dead, basically. Uh, but like, it means like different parts are stimulated at different times. But like, it's all still working. Yeah. I think. Yeah, but... yeah, I think it comes down to the idea that there's you have a lot of me- memory storage capacity, yeah. which is true. You do have a lot of memory storage, capacity, but the ten percent thing is complete sort of garbage. I'm afraid. Mythbusters one hundred and one. Uh, Fi Ben, do you have a mullet? Uh, I can confirm I have no mullet. I'm looking at the back As we're in person, we can all confirm <laughs> yeah. there was no uh, mullet going I think I said on the last one, uh, like, my wife doesn't even like me having, like, any stubble, so the chance of me being allowed an actual mullet in terms of, like, nonsense looks... I be... also don't have a mullet, just for the record. <laughs> yeah, can confirm. Me too. We can all confirm no one here has a mullet. Um... <laughs> Before we get into the questions, uh, just want to remind you guys that if you are enjoying the show, uh, please do leave a review on iTunes, the uh, Apple Podcast app. If you uh, scroll all the way down, you can leave a review there. Five stars. Someone gave me a one star the other day. That was me. Was it actually? No, of course it wasn't. So you, it wasn't you who said really samey guests, yeah. not really for me. <laughs> just before you appeared. I looked at it and it was just next to a review that was like crucially important. Must listen if you're on FI. And I was like... Wow. <laughs> hey, her, can't please everyone, can you? But yeah, no, please, five stars preferably. Um, and uh, yeah, have a, have a view of the uh, Beginner's Guide of uh, Footman Index updated for 2020 with the new website uh, if you guys are just listening and you're a beginner. And again, listen to the last episode, episode 118 with Chris Harris. It was super, super good. So we touched on the um, January kind of the, the kind of moment that we're in right now and the moment uh, the announcement uh, Sadler on Football Index Twitter said uh, what's your general view on the latest tinker to the dividend, dividend matrix and I'm presuming he's talking about the introduction of the transfer with dividends he says do you believe this has confused new users impacted the growth of the platform in January and has been the big reason for money moving out the top end or PB holds so um, I have a friend who's joined up in January he wasn't confused by it he didn't really even register it that much i think it probably confused existing users more because you know how complicated fi is because you've got to kind of grasp with it um so he just thought it was just a nice additional bonus so i don't think it confused new users uh that much um probably because they don't really understand the platform yet probably um no i'd agree with that i think it definitely had a consequence of taking some money out of the top end like i look at myself for example and i thought i could market sell my port take the commission and make more money in those two weeks than I would have if I'd kept my same port because I don't have too many players. Uh, So I would have been trading in higher-end players probably more. So I imagine I'm not the only one who's put their money there. 
in the short term. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it's had that much impact, though. I think it's been pretty small scale because there just aren't that many players that it would apply. It's been quite a quiet transfer window, so I just don't think there's been that many players that it would have applied to. So it, it's moved money around a bit and it's been a bit confusing, but... I'm not that bothered by it. I think I'm more bothered about the execution than the actual Yeah, I think, you know, it it, it just, again, it's just a bit rushed, a bit amateurish. Is it a worry to you that it's worse than a previous announcement? Well, I think, actually, they've been on a run of getting, doing really quite well on a couple Mm. of announcements. I'd actually thought the last few announcements they'd handled really well, you know, the dividend increase, the, um, you know, the share split back back earlier last year. So I was thinking, you know, they're getting much more professional this stuff. So it's a little bit of a sort of slight backward step. Although, as I said, I don't think it's had that much consequence. And also, it's hard to complain when there's someone's trying to come up with a new way for people to make money. Like, yeah, Yeah. like I understand that has impacts on other people's existing bets, but on some level, like they haven't taken anything away to give it. This, as I say, I'm not, I'm not that fussed. It's just whether, you know, on a much bigger issue, if they did it like in this way, halfway through the window, you know, you just want to see them always hitting the mark because on a bigger thing it could have a bigger impact i definitely understand and get the it's free money argument i really do think though short term and long term right Mm. short term it it gives you that impression for new users say that they can win in another way for traders that trade in and out and are holding transfer players that might move great which is probably the majority like 99.7 percent of the index like there are people that probably hold players that could move in january or could get links I just do think that longer term, if you, especially if you've been on the platform for, for I don't know, six months plus, you're probably looking at that announcement and you're thinking, if you've been on it for six months plus, you probably have a decent amount of money in it at this point, if you've stuck with it. You're probably looking at it and thinking, I don't think that's good enough. Like, I really, I really do strongly think that if you come up with a new mechanism for winning on FI and you communicate it, first of all, halfway through the window, Second of all, just by your CEO's Twitter, who, you know, as great as Adam has, is, has 8,000 followers. Mm. Like, how many people is that reaching? How many people are understanding it, etc.? There's, I think there was just too many, too many holes to pick with this mm. one. I'm not just quite, I'm just not sure why they went for it, because I think there's already enough hype in transfer yeah. anyway. Uh, there's already quite a lot of action in the lower end. Um, I don't think it was their intention, but they must have made so much more in commission than they will pay out and actually the dividends of these sure. transfers. I don't think that was probably their yeah. grandma's plan. But yeah, I'm, I, would, I would just be curious to know what series of conversations led to this is why we think this is the way to it. It would just be fascinating to get there. Would you like mindset. it to return in summer? I mean, I hate transfer trading, so it's not my thing. But like, I don't mind them introducing new mechanisms and new promotions. Like, it's a betting platform ultimately, and they all do that. Um, I just think it needs to be done with... Know, communicated in a proper way with an advance warning on all platforms and then you know then then if it, if it, if it doesn't really work then they won't do it again and that's fine but um, I think I think I'd definitely prefer if you could only have one go big on the euros like focus on football yeah. and performance because um, that's kind of more, more than the, a gimmicky of a, of a gank striker going to yeah exactly because <laughs> I, th- I think that long term would be better for them as well I, I'm in agreement with that um Max with two X's on Twitter has a question here. The marketing budgets are bigger than ever, yet January 2020 hasn't come close to the growth 
forecast by many. Do you see this as a sign of a maturing market or is it a market simply waiting for the next promotion and overly reliant on these offers for stimulation? Um, I don't, it's interesting when you say like it's, the growth hasn't, that was forecasted, but by forecasted by who? Uh, like I don't know what FI would have hoped. I mean, I kind of track the market and it seems that like it's growing about between one and 2% a week, which- In January. Uh, well, I, I think about so in January. Yeah, I th- I'm pretty sure that's what Three it is. Three million has been added to the market in January. So, like, we have had growth, yeah. um, right? but like maybe people have just been used to so much growth. And from what I've heard, and I, I should point out, I'm relatively new to the platform in terms of being on it ten months. Last January sounded like it was crazy, uh, and there was loads of growth. It was, but if you look at December and January last year and this year, the amount of money is probably quite similar. It's, it's just that the market is much bigger now, so the amount of money has less impact yeah. on the, you know, what was moving it by 1% last January is moving it by 0.3% this January. Mm. So I think it's probably been quite similar in terms of the number of users and yeah. the number of, uh, the amount of cash coming in. Um, it's just has, it's just less obvious in a, in, a, in a more mature market. But I don't think, it doesn't worry me particularly. I mean, 12 millions come in in December and January, which is like more than 10% of the whole value of the market. So it doesn't feel like it's particularly slowing down. Yeah, I mean, it's according to FI Market Cap, you guys should all follow on Twitter. It's at FI Market Cap. It says that it's currently at 95.9 million, mm. which is, you know, a fair, fair hefty amount. I think it was to 85 at the end of November or something like that. Am I, I don't know if I'm mistaken in that, but I mean, I... I don't know. I think there are a few variables in the air at the moment, up in the air, whether that's kind of people talking about MB a lot, um, the lack of follow through on FI's part in terms of that long term dividend. Another thing, um, the kind of expansion into other markets. I think there are a few. I get what he means. I don't agree that it might be promotions that kind of push the market. It just might be uh points in their roadmap that they kind of announce yeah there's, i think one of the probably the biggest mistake they've made this season is is on mb and i know there's a few questions about mb that people have asked um specifically but then they 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 massively increased pb earlier in the season which i think most people will be very happy about um but they kind of at the same time almost accidentally reduced the value of mb a lot so they've almost cancelled out their own their, their own their own big dividend increase if they kept both at the rate that they were at you'd have seen more growth over the course of this season um, than we have seen, even though it has been sort of pretty good anyway. Um, but by essentially um, reducing MB dividends by mistake, they've sort of capped the top end of the market a bit. Um, Do you think they did that with in the back of their heads thinking we're going to have to change this thing at some point and probably increase dividends if it's a big wholesale change? I, don't th- I think they made a genuine mistake. I mean, who knows? But I think they made a genuine mistake in opening up to the squad and that they didn't realise the impact that that was going to have. Um, I think they believed their own stat, which was just wrong, um, that it would only 7% had been sort of winning it and it was, it's actually been like a third of have gone to, to squad players, which is significant. And you've also, so this is just unlucky for them, there haven't been the big stories that yeah. there were last yeah. year on the Pogba and Hazard. And There's a bit of a vacuum, isn't there? It's a bit of a vacuum. Hazard leaving the press, Salah not really Salah's not really won any. So there's been... It's it, for certainly for a new user coming in, I think, or even for more experienced users, you're looking at it and thinking, "There's no one really who I'm going to make a lot of money on MB, and I know that that's going to be the case over the next year," which has just dampened it a bit. Whilst at the same time, you're thinking, "I can make a lot more on PB." Um, so, 
I think that's probably been the only real sort of big mistake. Well, I guess for me, I always find it interesting of like, yes, I obviously want the market to grow, but like, it's a trading platform as right. well. So like, if people aren't making as much money as they want, yes, we can look, we like, we shouldn't be reliant on market growth to make money. We should be relying on trading uh, ability. And so, although I definitely would have liked it to grow more, my first part of call is like, I need to stop making some silly mistakes with my mm. trading because um, I'm still making... Like, of course, if something's growing at 1% a week, I mean, there are not that uh, many things growing at 1%, 1% a, week. a week. to someone not on FI... It sounds ridiculous. ...is amazing. Okay. Uh, and I think we kind of just get used to mm. this growth and therefore you lose perspective. Mm. Whereas 1% for not doing anything, if you just buy good players and leave them... Mm. Right, well, that was the thing I think I, I tweeted out once, that like, this year, if you'd have bought Phil Jones a year ago you'd have still be in profit uh, more, like, more so than lots of other like, savings accounts. And, like, and if you're making money off Phil Jones and Ashley Young, you're going to be okay uh, if you don't overtrade, basically, at this stage still. Yeah, I think, it's, um, I think I actually said to some people towards the end of December, I said, it, I think it might be delayed, the boom. Um, and I don't really know why, but I kind of looked at my numbers in terms of kind of like subscribers, podcast downloads, Twitter followers towards the end of December last year, it kind of just picked up, it, it, literally Boxing Day onwards, for like 30, 25 days. This was an amazing influx. And I think with January, it started like in the first week right. or second week, which means that considering your point where it takes much more money to move mm. stuff, the new users need to get settled. And when they get comfortable, they might tell their friends and mm. the friend of that friend might have like 100K spare. Mm. Um, so I think we need to kind of wait for that because I think there were a lot of people last year that kind of, uh, and the year before in that January and that in those kind of big acquisition pushes respectively that probably joined and then like three to six months later bit the bullet and actually deposited a lot more money. So I think for me, Feb, March, April is going to be a period of more like sustained, bigger growth where we might see that, you know, one and a half, two percent or kind of like those one percent days where people go like completely ballistic and then kind of like, I think that is the other thing as well. The, the growth has been more gradual. Mm. There hasn't been, yeah. apart from, I mean, Friday night we had Harland who, who went up like 70p and I'm sure that impacted the market um, growth because, you know, like almost 400k went into him. But I really think that we've had less like, bang, there's like a 2.5% day and then I'm sure there's like a few like trickle down ones after that. Whereas it's been more like, you know, 0.25% a day or 0.1% a day for like seven mm. days. I, I, I quite like uh, yeah. because then I find it easier to kind of measure myself against and also be able to predict stuff a bit better. Um, so yeah, I don't mind that. I don't think anyone minds, you know. Right. That, that much <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm not worried and I don't think anyone should be really. Um, but speaking of kind of the, the players that usually kind of spark that massive surge upwards, FI Vision has a question here uh, on Twitter. He says, I've seen a lot of top-end bashing, mostly by those trying to peddle cheap players as value. Can you talk a little bit how important top-end growth is for the whole platform, please? I feel that many don't see the link between Neymar going to £10 and their £2 players going to £3, etc. Sure, I mean, I think it's true that um, the more you stretch the top end, the more space there is for then other players to, to, to grow into. It, it also, if you're looking at sort of younger players and you're thinking, what's the realistic, how do I make a value 
uh, of this player, you're thinking, well, could they become the next Neymar, the next? So you're looking at that as being, well, they could Eventually, become yeah, worth, yeah. A, you know, whatever the top of the market is worth. So it is an important metric for for thinking about all players. So I agree on that point. I mean, I think, like, don't have a, don't want to get into a specific debate about specific players, but it's just mm-hmm. we're just in a bit of a vacuum at the top end. There are football reasons why there just hasn't been that much of a surge. You don't have a young player or even a kind of mid-career player who's got both a big MB story running and winning lots of PB, just all coming together and creating that And you can see traders are kind of like desperate for that. The Haaland rise the other day is kind of definitely a tribute to that vacuum, isn't it? I think the two are definitely related. So I think one of the things you tweeted out a while ago was like the exchange rate of Brandon Williams to Neymar Uh, and that's not to like bag on any particular player, but like that sums it up perfectly. Is like there has to be a sort of exchange rate going on where like if one player is going to give you a lot of money and one player isn't, there should be a difference, a sizable difference between them. Um, so yeah, I, I also think the interesting thing with top end bashing of the market, as it were, is um, people play it like relative to their port size and how much time they have, and so. It's difficult if you don't have a really large port to understand why someone with a really large port would put their money into the top end players. Uh, but if you have that a lot of time, or if you have uh, too much money that you could, like, there's no point putting ten thousand pounds into a really cheap player you can't. because once you have, they wouldn't be cheap, so they wouldn't reduce you can't value, your money and, and you can't sell them. them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's no liquidity there, right? So it makes sense. Like, it's a really odd thing to attack one end of the market just because it's not your. Yeah, different well, users will be, will use different bits of depending on their exactly. Yeah, I, I really I really like that point, and I think um, someone was talking about the the pie injury, and I think we had the Chimmy Avia ACL today, right. uh, where you know the pie went down a significant amount, but Avia percentage wise has dropped a lot more. Right, and if you have the same amount of shares in Avia and the pie the kind of like downside for you owning the pie is, is far, far lower in that in that respect. So it, it is interesting to me that people really don't grasp that if you do put a lot of money in players, it's not necessarily going to be in those with low liquidity, which are naturally going to be the players at the lower end yeah. because there is not as many people buying them. And look, there are some people that do it amazingly. Lee Butler on, on Twitter, for example, you know, he'll see, he'll ping screenshots of him holding like 10,000 of a 50p player, which is, which is great if you can get out of that position, which I'm sure for him, he's, he's, he's done really well. So he must've been able to get a lot out of a lot of those positions very successfully. But I'm sure even he can kind of like tell you there's been positions that he's gotten into where he's been like, crap, going to have to take the hit on this one. And if you're a really skilled trader, you can make a lot of money doing that. But understanding that that is a risky tactic, I think people don't really get it. Totally. And so I think there's two things that happens there. One, I think people, you see less risk in the low end of the market because you think there's less movement down that your player can do. Whereas if you have a £10 player, you think, oh, he can go down a longer way. But the risk, I think, in the low end of the market is, A, you've got one person who owns 10,000 shares in that player. So like that one trader could trash your, your bet. Uh, and the other thing is, I think there's this misconception that cheap equals value. Uh, and it's, they're definitely not true. And I kind of, the way I now see it is, in bookies, they're a high-risk bet. You have big numbers, like 25 to 1. 
Whereas on Football Index, your high-risk bets have low numbers mm. because like, they're 30p because they have less chance of winning PB. But yet, because those numbers are small, as in the price you pay for them, look they look really attractive. Uh, and I find that really, that difference of just framing really interesting because... I was literally about to say that, though, because there was a little bit of a debate in when I, when I dropped the, the tweet that we were going to do this show. Uh, I think Jordan Kenny, who I've met at one of the Index Game meets, and, and Phil Tyra, who's been on the show, and he's you know, an economics grad, knows his stuff. They, they were kind of talking about he, he was kind of uh, Phil had asked the question um, you know holding uh, holding players from 50p to pound is far easier quicker and more profitable than holding a seven pound player that brings in dividends do you think that FI a big FI sharks will ever more move their money out of proven PB stars and into players with the room for high capital appreciation appreciation returns to your point Sigmund if everyone did that those players wouldn't be cheap yeah exactly. <laughs> and, and also the top end would become really cheap yeah. they'd be really high value right and just to be clear like I own quite a few cheap players so I, I'm not anti it in fact like my biggest holding in terms of just pounds in the player is a really really cheap player uh, so I'm not anti it in the slightest I just think there's understanding why they're cheap is I guess oh yeah no, I go part. from 40p all the way up yeah, to pounds. I think there's value everywhere in the market I just think um, so it's just exactly the point you were making it, it it's what makes sense for your trading strategy well, one of the interesting things that I think Jordan Rebuted was uh, or rebuttal. You said rebuted. rebuted. <laughs> Is that even a word? No. Nope. I'm, I'm, I'm with smart people. So you <laughs> he said that's like saying uh, winning a 200 to one acre is much better than winning a two. Uh, to one acre investors do ju- investors do just that invest they don't gamble on too much uncertainty and they control their risk that's why these premium players are just that it's that kind of like survivor bias that you guys have talked about a lot like if someone wins an 100 to one accumulator mm-hmm. which are just the worst value bets that you can place just mm-hmm. because of the nature of them someone will come out and be like wow i just won and then they'll place another four next week mm-hmm. thinking that they are just as likely to win which 100 to 1 wise they are but they think they're more likely to win well yeah and the obvious elephant in the room with the really cheap players and why some people will criticize the more expensive players is they're easier to pump like they're easier for some people to make seem attractive they could sell that bet to someone else and then get out where it's harder to do that with someone who's more proven or reliable because we all know the details about that player um and so that's there's certainly that undercurrent with some people that that's why you don't see it's funny because I, I didn't see anyone really I saw a few but not many tipping Haaland uh, mm. within the last two weeks uh, and hardly anyone seems to tip Trent in the last six months but yet his growth has been Huge. phenomenal but it's easier to tip a 30p player that we don't really know about because if you can sell him at 40p then also know. everyone will forget if it doesn't work out yeah. if it happens to go well people are like bloody hell he saw a 30p player that's now two pounds yeah <laughs> uh, and that happens all the time with any gambler is you only ever hear about the winnings not not the losses so true so true everyone loves green don't they um football index chat on Twitter has a question here. With the vast majority profiting significantly currently, how will FI go about retaining customers once the market reaches a point that not all traders are profiting consistently? You already alluded to this in just a minute ago, but we talked about this at length before we started the podcast. What are your thoughts on this? I honestly don't know. Um, and that's just because I'm not I, I'm like a marketing person or like I don't work within that industry. Uh, it will be a fascinating time on FI when profit is made based on trading ability and not on market growth. 
um, because I think for ev- like not for every winner you'll have a loser, but it'll be nearer that, um, and that's going to be really difficult because, well, fifty percent have to be below average. That's how averages work. So. Um, more than, I, I, more than that, because of the commission, right? Right, so there you go. Yeah. yeah, I mean, one thing to, 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 to say about it is we won't know when it's happening. Like, it'll only be obvious in retrospect when right. it stopped growing. Like, because you'll think for quite a long time after it stopped growing, oh, there's still more growth to come, it's just going through a flat stage. So, and, and, and it, it will never be completely flat. It will dip, it'll, you know, you'll, you'll only be able to see with, when you zoom right out that it actually kind of curved off at a certain point. So, so you guys have obviously both been on FI a lot longer than me. Uh, do you think that time comes nearer when order books comes in because then it's more trading as opposed to just... I think order books gives uh, people the potential to make bigger margins quicker. Right. And it means it will force people to trade more. Um, I think order books in themselves are like very pivotal to FI's business model. Yeah, but I also think order books rapidly increase liquidity so actually will grow the market quite a lot, in the short term at least. I think it will just speed the whole process up. um, I think it will definitely calibrate those ratios that we're talking about in terms of Mm. cheap versus premium because suddenly people will be like, crap, I've just realised like, if there's no instant sell on this player, all that's all that kind of like the willingness to buy a player is like massive. Yeah. Like you know, you could have thirty percent spreads on people, uh, and that's going to be normal so, at the bottom end. And so, do you think then you'll have to choose your trades more carefully because it'll be harder to get out of them? Because be- I, I just think there's just going to be a bigger disparity in pricing. There has okay. there has to be right. because this it's just like an, an odds game, isn't it? Mm. Like you are going to have people that are, are, are trading those low liquidity high... It's like, you know, um, if, if you've gone Betfair and you bet on, like, uh, there's probably no markets for this, but, like, French bowls or whatever, like, you can make a, a pretty hefty margin if someone lays your bet, but if they don't, or if, you know, you get a, a lay on that bet at odds you didn't want, then it's not great for you. Um, with FI, I think something quite similar might happen where the spreads on the top end, I think are actually going to be quite tight, especially like Haaland, for example. There is going to be people who, uh, you know, if he, his spread, I don't know what it is right now, but I would, I would really imagine it being a lot tighter yeah. if we had order books right now, just because of the amount of demand there'd be mm. for him. It's just, it's, that's just how markets work and how Betfair Exchange works. Yeah. Like when there's more demand. It creates that, it, it just creates much ra- more rapid liquidity. Yeah, um, so it'll just be interesting to see um, why that, how that plays out. Yeah, it's, um, I think it's, it's it, but, it, but, it, but it's true, like you've just shown me Bruno Fernandes go up quite a lot, right? Right. And a, a lot of people will definitely market sell, um, probably within this kind of mini rise. But imagine order books on a player like that, where I think the, the spread was like 80p the other day. Yeah. It's like, well, I actually reckon that the spread would be tighter with order books because they'd be someone who'd say like, I actually That's kind of still right. like his odds to go to United in the next six days. I think I'm going to offer this price. Yeah. And that price might be better than what FI are offering. Because at the end of the day, we're going to have to start competing with FI if they still offer some liquidity, which I presume they will at the start. We're going to have to start competing with them on the, the price that we offer to pay, yeah. which is going to be a really interesting yeah. dynamic, isn't it? Um, but no, but I think, I think that, will, that will rapidly increase um, liquidity. But uh, to go back to the original question, sure. I think um, it's really important 
that well before we get to this point, if I start marketing it as a trading platform and not as a rapid growth platform, mm-hmm. I do not like it when they advertise it as only 2% of people lose or yeah. lots and lots of rockets and it's going to grow. It's because it creates unrealistic expectations. Yeah. It creates a mindset about what the platform is for. Um, you know, and people what, are, what it will become. And what so. it will become. Now, people are happy to bet uh, and lose. Yeah. Like all betting companies, people are losing far more than they're winning, and that is a 19 billion pound industry. So it's perfectly possible to have markets where people are, um, you know, because of the Dunning-Kruger effect, think they're going to win, but actually don't. Um, and for that to... Explain that for a second for people that haven't listened to all is, of the... Is, the, is a cognitive bias that means most people think they're experts in, in things. So like the, the famous example is 90% of people think they're better than average driver, which of course is not possible. <laughs> I am one of the 10% who knows I am not... I'd also put myself firmly, not that we're the same person, but definitely I'd agree on that, yeah. But, 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 but I think because of that, that's one of the things that keeps gambling going. People, if people knew they were going to lose, they wouldn't do it. They'd yeah. They'd always think, oh, I've got, you know, this... If is- I gave you 10 quid right yeah. now and you were like, you could win 20, yeah. um, but then if I gave you 10 quid and you were like this is going in the bin. Obviously, yeah. wouldn't, I wouldn't give you it, would I? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> People will still go into casinos, right? And that's yeah. like, they're definitely going to lose if you, um, most of the time if you go into a casino. So, um, so it's possible to construct markets where you're um, looking to people's confidence and their ability to, you know, actually use their knowledge of, of football. But they need to market it that way, yeah. which they have, they obviously do, you know, that's their tagline. But, but I do, I just really worry when they push the rapid growth line. Well, it's interesting. So I tried to get a friend to join up and the thing that turned him off was the Bitcoin versus Neymar advert because he, his argument for that wasn't so much to do with Bitcoin, but it's just, he's like, I've missed the boat. Yeah. Uh, and that, I was like, no, no, like you can still make good money, I believe. And I think we're still growing. Mm. Uh, but that was just anchored in his mind of like, I should have, if I was going to do it two years ago was the time, not now, which yeah. I don't believe is true, but that's what he believed. Yeah. I, yeah, I had like one of my best weeks ever on FI this week. Right. Like, and I've been on since January 2016. There you go. Uh, both in actual money terms and percentage terms. So I, that's kind of like been my rebuttal, not rebute. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but if you build your marketing off growth, sure. then people will think, oh man, it's been growing for this yeah. long at this space. I, it was going to stop at some point. So I'm coming in right at the end. That's bad for me. If you build it on, this is a really innovative way of betting and using your football knowledge to beat other people. Yeah. It's just going to become a byproduct. Right. Yeah. Well, I, I, I'm amazed that they haven't bet, uh, majored more on it's, re- it's not all or nothing on one bet. Mm. Like, it's really hard to lose your stake on FI. Yeah, much safer than traditional. So bet. much. But yet that never really, maybe it's not glamorous enough. It um, used to though. When right, they first okay. came out, it was like your bet's not over at the final whistle. I that love was that. the tagline. That's such a clever tagline. Yeah, that's <laughs> Adam great. Cole, genius. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if you're listening, Adam, well, well done. <laughs> the, the thing is, though, I think um, we were talking before the show. Uh, when you when you think about um, the market cap maxing out, or whatever that becomes, whether it's three hundred million mm. or three billion, who knows? Because you know, as you just mentioned, twenty billion uh, pound industry. You know, the Bet three six five CEO she took home three hundred twenty five million alone this yeah. year. She's lucky her. Um, I think she's got a river in her house or something like that. Mad or like in the garden. Fair play to her. Got to spend your money on something. Um, but there has to be flex in that market cap to allow people to make like big margins. Otherwise, like if you're scalping like a percent here and a percent there, I do think that that won't be gripping enough for that many people. Yeah. And I think the, the tweet that I put out to, to your point, Sam, um, uh, which was kind of like, you know, 
<clears throat> if 5% of people actually win against the house, bookies-wise, then that means that 80% of the top 25% of betters still lose, mm. which is nuts, right? right? And we talked about Sigmund while Sam was out of the room uh, before that I've kind of, in my head, and I need to draw it out, I need to put it in a video, and I think I will soon. I've kind of thought about this quadrant, right? Where on the left-hand side, you've got the biggest amount of profit margin that you can make as a gambling company, which is the bet 365 of this world, where 98% of the time you're making money uh, and your margins are massive and the money in that market, quote unquote, is huge. So they're like up in the top left part of that quadrant, kind of in the middle where you have a lot of money in the market. So they're still really high, um, but the margins are actually 40 or so percent less because of the commissions. And it's actually a zero sum game. And obviously you have to pay uh, you have to probably lose some of your uh, margin to liquidity providers as well. It's probably towards the right, but kind of still high in the middle because there's so much money in that market. FI at the moment are kind of like to the right and down where there's a lot of more money to go into the market, but the margins for the company are quite small and they'll slowly go like diagonally left towards that Betfair model. But as you say, we won't really know when that happens because it will go flat to some extent. Yeah, but th- and there'll never be a moment when it goes flat. No. It will, there will always be movement in the, in any market. Yeah. Um, it's just that if you zoom out, you'll see a curve. Yeah, and, and I really do think that there are going to be more and more companies that maybe don't start where FI start in that bottom right corner where you have like zero margin and like you just need more growth to come in. Yeah. Uh, there are going to be companies that start in the middle of that quadrant more and more where you're like, right, okay, well, to be honest, Bet365 are worth billions and billions of pounds. We could actually probably make a billion pound company with half the margins that they have. It's just like simple maths. Like people are going to start undercutting in in more ways than one in the betting industry. And FI have just done that in an extreme way. Um, And they've created this very innovative business model where, using people's deposits to some extent they've driven this market to become and it will still become and go in that direction that betfair currently is uh, and then it's whether or not people prefer trading footballers yeah. to i mean ultimately that that is what it's all going to come down to do yeah. people enjoy this more than traditional betting yeah because there is a 20 billion pound gambling market the money's there yeah it's just when it doesn't it's not slowing down and it's not slowing down it's getting bigger uh it's it's where does that go and we've seen a lot of talk about the P word recently Uh, and by P word I mean Ponzi scheme Uh, a lot of new users and especially those kind of like heavily engrossed in that gambling world and kind of like the analytics analytics side and I've been meaning to make a video about it and I'm definitely going to include that quadrant however however well I draw it uh, in that video but I, I want to get it from you too like how do you concisely explain it to people when they're like well this is a Ponzi scheme can I go first? Because if I give a stupid answer, then you can uh, come in and go, well, what he meant to say was... Uh, so my un- like, the best way, I, for me it's quite simple, is it's not a Ponzi scheme because you can win dividends from those players. Uh, now, of course, some players will return more dividends than others uh, relative to the bet, in which case they're the ones you probably want to gamble on. Yeah. And of course, you can sell that bet on to another user. But the fact that the value isn't just by what someone else is willing to pay for it, that on some basic level you get paid out based on their performance, it can't be a Ponzi scheme because it generates wealth within itself. There's intrinsic value as opposed to just extrinsically what someone else is going to pay for it. And of course some players will be overvalued and some undervalued, Mm -hmm. but that's just the skill of trading. But because there's dividends, it can't be a Ponzi. 
How do I do, Sam? Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> I, would, I would have loved it if he just went, uh, it was all right, yeah, could have done better, though. <laughs> Disappointing. A, a Ponzi is a fraud because it has no underlying asset. Right. That's a, like the simplest way of explaining it. In a Ponzi scheme, you're giving money to someone who has no intention whatsoever of ever, like, in creating any assets. He's just, all he's doing is taking your money and giving it to somebody else, getting money from someone else and giving it to you. He's just moving money around. In, in any betting company, which is what FI is, there is an implied asset, which is the dividends or the uh, return that you're going to get on the bet. And that exists, and we all get paid it, so it can't possibly be a Ponzi scheme. If it was, it wouldn't be allowed because it would be fraudulent by definition. So it's definitely not a Ponzi scheme. I think, having had quite a lot of these conversations, that when you get into the conversation, people will accept that yeah. it's not a Ponzi scheme because, for precisely this reason, because it's clearly not fraudulent. They will, however, worry that it's a bubble which is a much more legitimate worry, I think, because bubbles do happen all the time with legitimate trading. So you know, we've had the dot-com bubbles, we've had cryptocurrency bubbles, you know, go all the way back to the Dutch tulip bubble in the, in the 17th century. Like we have a, there, there is a, a, a risk of people getting overexcited and buying into something once the value's gone and then it crashing. And that does happen on individual players in Football Index. Individual players do create bubbles and crash. But, um, you know, I think as long as we all, as I said at the beginning, have an underlying theory of value that we're applying to the market and really thinking about whether, um, whether players are overvalued, we should be able to avoid there being um, any bubble, or at least if we're thinking about it in those terms, get out if we think it is becoming a bubble, but which it isn't at the moment. There are, I, I bang my head against the wall a bit because uh, there's hallmarks of a bubble when people say stuff like dividends earned in their career don't matter. Well, that, that is very much the hallmark of like a right. bubble because like that is the value, like what that number on the screen uh, means. And like when people, even on a base level, when people talk about PB players, all the players are PB players. It's just some are good at it uh, than others. But if you kind of only talk about like the only way is up and dividends don't matter uh, or like no one holds their bet for three years, so it doesn't matter. You can matter. sell them on anyway. Yeah, like that is how bubbles happen because you just think, oh, like someone else will pay more money for it. Right. So, 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 so it doesn't matter. And uh, that, that definitely happens in like stock markets today, right? There are companies now... Property, like... Yeah, like but my, like there are companies trading right now that are going to be trading for 90% less than they're currently valued in like well, we three years. We saw it with WeWork. Yeah. A classic example yeah. um, of a bubble right there, um, which, is now, which is now popped. Yeah. Um, so you... But that's why I said at the beginning, it's so important to understand, you have your own view of what value of each of the value of each player, because if you don't, you are at risk of getting caught up in exactly what you're talking about with with these kind of, oh, don't worry, they always go up, they never go down type of, of argument. And, and it's hard. So you say everyone needs to have their own theory of value. And I get why, like, I've been on the platform for 10 months and I'm still trying to figure out, like, if I didn't know what anyone else was paying for a player what would be the number I think I would play. And it's really hard to work out because there's so many unknowns. And so all you can ever do is talk about like, I think a range of like, that's the sort of ballpark I think yeah. for what I know. But you've got to have some sort of underlying theory or else you're just gonna follow the, the like market and like- And one of the, 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 the benefit of FI, from, if you were purely thinking about as a better, what's the best route for me to take? The massive benefit is that it's much safer because you can't lose all your stake at once, as we've just been talking about. What makes it harder is that it is genuinely much harder to value uh, a career-long bet on a player than it is to value a one-match bet. Yeah. 
Um, and I, I say it's really important to have a theory of value. I think that really is the case, but you'll always be refining it and tweaking it and thinking, oh, that didn't really make sense, and now I'm going to think more about this, because it's really difficult. That's also what makes it fun for me. Anyway. But that's, that's, I think, the best thing about Twitter, for example, is there's a whole bunch of people who talk about how they value players, mm. uh, and they talk about what, like, PB average versus PB peak, or here's my, like, my own metric that I've made. And in my experience, all these people who are talking about that sort of stuff are really happy to discuss and debate it when help you learn how to like mm. how you think you should value players. Uh, so there's this great network of people out there who are really happy to discuss value, uh, and they're the ones I think that are interesting and, and, and worth paying attention to. I, I just think belief is so intrinsically linked to value in kind of all assets out there and if we talked about a bit about gold and bitcoin before we started the show but if you think about footballers on fi if more if 90 percent of people believe that neymar is worth x price he will get to that price because more traders think that he will than not if that makes sense and i kind of think about like you know gold uh we have this weirdly discussion in uh one of the chats that i'm in i was like what do people even use gold for? It's like jewellery. Uh, okay, cool. Well, that's just because people believe it looks nice. Yeah. There's rarity and scarcity there. Um, and then you can use it in like some electronics. It's like, well, actually, what's the underlying value of gold if that's all its utility right. compared to what it's worth? And then you look at Bitcoin, who a lot of people will tell you doesn't really have actual legitimate utility yet. And this is someone who works in uh, you know finance and someone who literally makes a podcast about blockchain and crypto for a living (laughs) so you know i'm telling you that as kind of like there are people who think that however that market cap is still massive because there are still enough people that believe that that is the way to go that they think that bitcoin is going to be how what people how people transfer money in the future etc i've gone off subject here but it's it's when belief and reality get diverged yeah exactly you've got the problem but but still you know the the crypto bubble that you talk about Mm. we got they got to uh, one trillion dollars right and it's now at 250 trillion. That bubble hasn't even really popped. It's just quartered. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you think about kind of like uh, the financial world we're currently in, you know, when uh, America went off the kind of gold standard and there wasn't any underlying value to kind of like the dollar and kind of like currency, you have to believe in that currency being value for it to have any worth. And like, you know, governments being able to print as much money as they want or print when they're in holes like they that can create bubbles in itself and i think people really need to kind of calibrate their expectations to some extent where you know bernie madoff created like a ponzi scheme like if you guys want to hear about a ponzi scheme listen to the uh crypto queen podcast that i keep plugging it's crazy you know people create billion dollar multi-level multi-level marketing schemes where you are literally selling nothing to someone for more and that person is selling that nothing for even more um with fi there is an underlying dividend there are uh you know the company makes money through a variety of ways i've just talked about that quadrant it's quite like clear where they're trying to go and that kind of market or business model that they're trying to disrupt i think i can make a decent video about it right now you don't want to sound complacent of course there's a risk it's a bet yeah. like with any bet with any investment there's risk it's not there's no risk it's just that um you it's not it's not some kind of madcap uh, or a legal scheme. So if it's not, we all agree, not a Ponzi. Uh, but, that's good. Yes, <laughs> a good starting point. Good start. Uh, but has potential even within one player or like bubbles. Um, 
it's really interesting then how to not get caught up in a bubble. Yeah. Because if everyone says it, like basic psychology or bandwagon effect is if everyone says something, mm. you think, well, I can't be the only one who thinks that's wrong. So like, surely I should go with what everyone is, so this is saying. I was actually saying this before the show. I think it's people get really upset when, you, when they think you're talking down their players or you know, there's a lot of complaining about you should never talk down a player. It's incredibly important correction mechanism to avoid bubbles that people are allowed to make criticisms of players' prices and say, this player is overvalued. Here are my reasons. You don't believe them. Obviously, you're free to buy more or to <laughs> state your own argument to, to, you know, to, to oppose my argument. But you have to be able to make that argument because that is one of the best ways of avoiding bubbles. Right. Um, if, if we're never allowed to criticise a player's value um, and there's no way of shorting a player on FI, then, then what is it that's going to stop people getting sucked into ever higher prices for a player. So it, 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 I, I encourage people to, to talk down players more and actually give an opinion on the negative value as well as saying, I think this player is going to rise. And I understand why some people get defensive over of that. Because you might lose money. Yeah. It's upsetting. But it is important. And we're still at the stage money. where everyone's making more money on cap app than they are on divs. So the thought of someone reducing my potential earnings, winnings, can be really emotional. And I get that. But like... Just to go, everyone's value mm. is just nonsense. It's really helpful. It yeah. actually creates risk for you and everyone else. Yes. Yeah. I, I just wanted to, to finish, I think, on this point. One of the things that I said in a few episodes ago was that there are so many shit companies out there. Like, I've been to so many conferences, and Sam, I'm sure you've been around at, like, loads of conferences of a variety of industry where you walk around and you're like, fuck me, how the hell are these guys like an actual business? Um, and that's going to happen on that kind of quadrant that I've talked about where there are going to be loads of those companies that start and we've seen them a lot started adjacent to FI and aren't here where they just like nothing happens but they still manage to accumulate a lot of money and actually be worth a reasonable amount of money. Mm. You talked about WeWork earlier. Right, it's a very like, good example of that. Was it, were they worth like seven billion or something like that? Something? More than more that. Than that 14, yeah, like 14 million. It's insane. So if the very best or the most hyped can actually fall down, then people yeah. shouldn't be, as you said, complacent to FI. It's very small. Like, come on, like 95 million pounds is nothing. It is absolutely nothing. We just talked about the crypto global market cap getting to $1 trillion. Like, this is absolutely nothing at the moment. And... Um, yeah, but people need to not be complacent and whether that's like a shift in FI's marketing strategy as you kind of alluded to, Sam, or whether or not FI uh, traders kind of prepare themselves longer term for that kind of, where they have to work more for the same percentage uh, returns than they currently are doing. Um, but we've got a question here from uh, Football Index MDJ. Excited for this. Could they talk about they? It's not even including me. You're not here to hear me. Uh, could they talk about the of IPOs and their current format? Essentially a chance for experienced users to screw over new users. Is it better to boycott until FI resolve the issue or should we feel okay about making a quick comma and in brackets dirty buck off the backs of others? I um I actually feel a bit sorry for FI in some respects of like if they don't IPO players everyone's gonna be really annoyed when people like Tomori play for England and they're not on the index but yet if they do IPO players clearly the servers and the technology isn't quite up to the level they want it to be at um so they're kind of damned if they do and damned if they don't uh I think I don't know what the alternative is. Um, well, they have to create a kind of auction mechanism, essentially, so that the the market decides the price, not them. I mean, that's yeah. the 
ultimately the only way to solve this problem. They are never going to be able to just sitting in a room by themselves figure out what the right price is for a player because they just don't know the psychology of, of players towards that, of traders towards that player. Mm. Like yeah. Cherky was right 135, they put him on out, which was ridiculously low. And then, you know, you've had players this week who are nowhere near as sort of hyped going on for more. So they're obviously finding that really difficult and I'm not surprised because it is a really difficult thing to do. They shouldn't be trying to do it themselves. They need the market to be setting that. And it's that it's, it's not just new users who get burned on IPOs. <laughs> I, I, I know I know they're more yeah, likely to because to because like they don't know like they haven't had the experience. But like I'm definitely not good at IPOs. Like I know how to avoid it because I think I'm down for like I've only done it like twice, but I'm down to like if I was to do it again and I'm not a new user, I'd still probably get burnt. So like. Yeah, it's definitely not just the new... new do, you, do you think they should stop them until they have a new mechanism? No, I really think it'll be... Like, the worst thing that could happen is... That would create a bubble within yeah, the like, current What's the guy, the young Birmingham guy who's been linked with you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, if he moves to Man United for 30 million and is not on the index, that is not a good look for Football Index because a new user would want him to be on the index. I think news is probably wanting to be on Yeah, I mean, now. I think there are ways right. of doing it in their existing model that were better than the ways they're doing it now, even before you got to an auction system, which is the only way. Of, they should be prioritising that, and I hope they're thinking about doing that with the new order books. But, but, but I really liked when they had the long weeks where they just sort of were just sticking out players at random times because because that's going to create much less pressure on their on their servers. If they're, if they're giving you a five-minute warning, then of course it's going to crash everything. Yeah, on, on the app. I don't know. I wasn't around, but I just kind of had to read Twitter to just understand well, what I, happened. I, I can never do IPOs because they're always while I'm at work. Um, the only two times I've ever been able to do them was the one when it came out in the middle of the night and my toddler had just woken up, so I just happened to be that, on. That was brilliant for new parents. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> Everybody's like got a little kid reward for those things. Yeah, and, then, and then the only other one was Christmas Eve when they did Cherky, so I've been like quite lucky, really. <laughs> but, um, but, uh, but yeah, I think, I think there are better ways of doing it now and they really need to move to a new system as quickly as possible, but I agree they shouldn't stop because that would cause even bigger problems. Uh, I wasn't asked to comment on this by email, no, so we'll, we'll move on. Uh, Rawhide, uh, FI is a gambling cl- platform. Can you explain to new users what the bet is when they are buying a player, and why aren't FI more transparent about this? Sam, I think you, you talked about this, touched on it in our previous segment a little bit there. You are, and, it, and it, this goes to the heart of why it's complicated, um, and I think they could do a better job of explaining it, but um, what you are betting on is the career dividends of that player now the three-year bet why do people like pricing people like that because it doesn't actually reflect what the market does value right now so if you rigidly applied that as a mechanism of value which i did when i started i didn't make very much money because it's not how anyone else is doing it um why career not three year so i think this is really important so like the three-year bet is a total red herring Mm. All you need to do when you get to that three years, three years is pay a two percent commission, and you get and you can keep that player for another three years, and another three years, and another three years. You can keep that player throughout the whole career, their career, and it's their career that matters in the bet, not the three years, um, because ultimately, even if you decide to sell at the end of the three years or decide to sell after a week, it's still their career that people are looking at, not the next three years. Right. So you're making a bet on the career of that player. Um, now, obviously, you might cash out that bet really, really quickly. You could cash it out within a few hours, but that's still the underlying bet you are making. Mm. Um, now, people don't like 
to think of it in that way because it, it's not, you then need to layer on all the kind of market psychology and where people behave and the fact that people look at the short term over the long term. But that, that is the bet at the core and then all of those other layers go, go on top of that bet. See, see, I'm, isn't it, so I get the whole, you're betting on their career dividends slash three year dividend thing. Uh, I don't, if I was to explain to someone new, I wouldn't say you can cash out the bet. I would say like you have the ability to sell the bet to someone else. Mm. And yes, I might sell it back to FI for cheaper, which is the cashing mm. out. But a lot of the money that is made on FI is still at this stage mm. is if I buy this bet, mm. I can then sell it at a higher price to someone else because that player's price has risen. Well, right, that is a cash out. Yeah, I know, but, but I, know, I know it is a cash out, but I think to explain it as a cash out makes it sound like yeah. you're losing money because it's sure. like you typically cash out on bets before they've made... They might like, wait, yeah, wait, wait, yeah. but when, when, if I say you but can you sell it, I'm trying to down, sell, yeah. yeah, but otherwise I'm, I'm saying you can make more money as well from your bet by, if that player does well, you can then sell That's that interesting because I do think else. of it as very much like a cash out because if you buy a player and they just do rubbish, yeah. then their value is going to go down, but you can still cash it out. You don't have to yeah. wait for it to go to zero, so, but you are going to lose. Whereas if that player does really well, or gets linked to a yeah. Man United or whatever, then they're going to go up and you can cash out at a higher price. It's an interesting because I, I see it like generally like, so I had a Darmatrari at the start of the season because I thought he looked funny for most footballers. <laughs> uh, I thought that was just interesting to see how that played He said out. that on the last podcast. Right, like, it just like Hamza Chowdhury, him, yeah. other players that just um, look uh, unique. And holding him, I haven't, you wouldn't have made too much money on dividends holding him, but I've made money by selling. But that's still that because bet. people think his implied oh, of dividends course. have gone no, up. No, of course so it's the still a cash out on, on, on the, in the sense that he's got more valuable because his career dividends, is projected to be different. implied career dividend yeah. is now higher than it was yeah. when, sure. you, when no, you did no, the bet. I, I get that. Because more people have seen him, more people think he's good, I just think good, it's useful to help explain to people in the terms of a normal bet because they're used to the terminology. Right. Most people have at least had a couple of bets. So they know the terminology of like a, a bet fair or a bet 365. So if you show them all those terminology actually apply in this bet, it's just structured in a very different yeah. way and over a much longer period, which is what makes it fun, I think. Yeah. Um, and off the back of your, your blog that you did for Index Gain, I made a video which explained it in, in worse terms than you, Sam, obviously. But, good, um, good blog, by the way, as well. <laughs> yeah, it's I really great video. Um, but I kind of talked about, like, that is the underlying. And if we pick any player, we can kind of say, well, what's their... We could logically reverse engineer it, right? We could pick X player who's two pounds and we could say, what do we think between us his career dividends is? And we would have to include potential dividend increases in the future, etc. We'd all come under up to a number. Let's say we went, we went for like one pound 10 and the player is currently worth two pounds. We then have a discrepancy of 90p. We then between us try and reverse engineer, work back why that 90p difference is between his implied dividends for his career and his current price. And now we could sit around right now and we could each say one thing that would create that discrepancy. For example, I could say, well, actually, I think dividends are going to be increased by this much in the next 10 10 years. And you would say something else and you would say something else, Sam. We could then take the average and then we could say, okay, well, that actually increases his implied dividends to £1.40 and then we can say okay well what if this happens and what if that happens and what if he's hyped to be that or yeah. hyped into this tournament do you know what I mean like there are so many variables that we can start attributing there's lots, to there's, there's that so discrepancy many variables. this is why I enjoy it there's so many variables that you can come up with lots of different valuations and I will have a different one from you and that's what makes it into a market makes it fun but you still have to have that valuation and yeah. I, I don't want to interrupt but like 
I will. It's <laughs> <laughs> not going to stop me. It's not going to stop me because I really want to say something that was really interesting. I remember speaking to SG at the Birmingham Trader Meet and he was like, what do you think is going to happen when we, we kind of cap out? And I was like, and I was thinking about this this morning before I, before I came in and recorded this. And I was like, Rooney used to be like one of the top dividend earners and the top of the index. Zlatan was, Griezmann was, Pogba was. That's all in the last four years. Right. So over a period of 12 months in a, in a, in a um, market where there's a max market cap, there are still going to be players that go from like 50p to like £3. Trent Alexander-Arnold's, what, gone up £7 in the last year or whatever? Like there are going to be players where people are going to make massive margins. You did point out he was very undervalued on my first pod <laughs> with you, I'm just going to say. Well, what's interesting is even with his value now and we know his performance as an example, I kind of half tongue-in-cheek tweeted a while ago that like it wouldn't surprise me to see him as king of the index uh, one day and every reply was that that was wrong. Uh, and the fact that no one, like if it's changed that much with those players within a few years, yeah, yeah no and sure, any idea yeah, for sure. Yeah, and the mechanics, right, the mechanics have changed, of course. Of but course. in three years, they'll like, be different. No one has, like there'll be some player in three years' time who it will look obvious that he was always destined to be one of the top five players, and no one would like at, today would probably predict it. And I think that's one of the reasons why people don't like this kind of career mm. way of thinking yeah. about it because they think, well, it's going to change so much. Why would I think about the whole career? But you still need to use the career as the anchor, yes. so that when any change happens, you've got an anchor to work from. Yeah. So yeah, so yeah, dividends will change. In different ways and all sorts of variables will happen but if you've got an anchor you can then adjust when it changes because you're basing it on something if you're just floating around without any anchor point based on their career then it's very difficult to adjust when change happens. well i think another reason why some people hate the career dividend thing is there's a very big important difference between players of internal value and my ability to profit from that player. Mm. Like you can easily profit from players who don't have much value. Yeah. And so when I go, I don't think he's good value, mm. that's not the same as me saying, uh, you can't profit from him. You just have to yeah. be better or luckier at selling at certain times. Yeah. Like your window for selling, if you don't think there's much value, internal value of that player, mm. is smaller because I can only make profit if I can sell him when you think there is going to be loads of value yeah. to him. But, but it's, it's, it's like goes. me saying you can win a, an, a 100 to 1 accumulator, which should be 175 to 1 odds. Right, Do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's exactly the same. And so yeah. I think being able to profit and working out the player's value are linked, but they are different. And that's why some people get very stressed about because yeah. I can still make profit. I can buy him now, sell him in the quarterfinals of the Champions League. Uh, absolutely, that's the skill of trading and psychology. But 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 it, but but you can only you only we're going to make profit doing that if you do understand the intrinsic value because that allows you to jump out at the right yes. moment. No, exactly. That's it. <sighs> wow, my brain's exhausted. <laughs> um, we are going to go on to the next question from Fi Philosopher, who I think he's going to come on the show soon. He's, no, he's yeah, he's been, yeah, I like his posts as well, which is why he's coming on. If I dislike them, <laughs> yeah. I'd be like, well, you're coming on, but I'm slagging you off. <laughs> <That means laughs> Uh, compared to when you first joined the index, do you think the market is more or less efficient in valuing players at their intrinsic value, divs versus commissions, uh, and how do you see this changing in the future? So I haven't been on as long as you guys, so you probably have seen different change. But for me, just in the last six months, I see a lot more content of people talking about here's how I value players, or um, you know, even to explain, here's how the tactical shift, uh, someone posts on Twitter, I can't remember, uh, tactics for... Nick. Nick, Nick right. Yeah. Uh, here, let me explain how, like, this shift in tactics affects 
potential player value. Yeah. And there's some people talking about how they rate PB base and all this yeah. kind of stuff. So I think even in the last few months, it's seen like a much different landscape. Um, the danger, of course, is there's too much noise and not enough signal that like with all this data people are talking like you don't know which data is the important part uh but i think the discussion is definitely gearing more that way and i just think that's awesome yeah but as the market grows a higher higher percentage of it is more experienced yes so has thought more about these questions Mm -hmm. so like you go back to last january you know in in the say 10 million coming into a 40 million market that that very high percentage of trading is going with people who don't know what they're doing uh, and now, 10 million coming into a 90 million market, that's less. Uh, and I think you can feel that. There are, the, the more of the money in the market has some idea about what they're doing and why they're doing it. And that doesn't mean it's completely rational. It certainly isn't completely rational, but it does feel, to me, and I haven't got a metric to prove this, but it does feel a bit more rational than it was. Yeah, and I, I think I, I talked about this with um, Chris Askew, who's a big mm. believer in his, his tactic is to... He thinks his edge is... Uh, probably knows his edge because mm. <laughs> he's made decent money on it is trading youth players you, mm. you know him quite well as well sam yeah. um and we talked at length on one of the podcasts the last podcast at the index game meet where he was like the youth bubble or the youth um trend is never going to stop and i said yes but i think that the rises are going to be more concentrated after this dividend increase and i don't want to say i was right but i mm. kind of was you know like Harland, Cherky, um, you can name a few others, but it's definitely more concentrated. We aren't seeing like every single youngster yeah, rise at the same time. Right. And that's more Which rational. Which was happening last January. Yeah, but it's more rational, right? Because we are seeing the more objectively and also subjectively in terms of the amount of opinions on a player, whether it's about Cherky or Harland or whatever, more of those players are. are there is a bigger gap between those players and the rest of the youngsters, if that makes sense, yeah. which is more rational. No, it definitely is. Uh, I find, obviously, the youth market really fascinating because my, my original research was on, like, the psychological... We never talked about, like, what you guys do, the right. usual intro, because uh, you've both been on. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, so I, I, I researched, like, the psychological factors of why youth footballers make it, basically. Uh, and some of the stats out there are, like, shocking... In terms, so like my two favourite ones are always um, an 18 year old in a premiership academy uh, has uh, only a 10% chance of having a 10 year career in professional football. So that's like within any professional level. Uh, so you're far more likely as an 18 year old, age 28, to not be playing football than you are to be playing for England. Uh, and I think the number is about 50% after five years. So 50% of 18 year olds in academy football won't be playing football age 23. Uh, oh yeah like there's loads you can think of um and it just blows my mind how there's so much unknown uh but yet everyone's very confident and spending a lot of money on some of these players and of course one of them will definitely make it because that's someone will but like if you take a hundred average suggests that 90 won't and like that's really interesting to me the thing about it is though on, on the flip side i suppose and obviously i'm not going to argue with stats is like if there is enough credible or what you deem to be credible opinion about a certain player yeah. if there's loads of those people saying like right chuck is good like yeah and you know this is you know opinions from uh journalists in france people who cover yeah. leon a lot and i'm yeah. going to defer to another player after I make this example, but everyone's saying, you know, he's the best thing since Mbappe, right? And even if he goes on to have a career, which is like a Ben Arthur one, yeah. or 
Benzema or whatever, which won't be bad. He will rise a lot, but he won't have the career that people like he, he like i think there is small probability that he isn't playing professional football at 28 and similarly to like before before you carry on and probably make me look stupid yeah. when we when yanazai first burst onto the team right. scene at united everyone thought he was going to be the next big thing currently he's like a squad player for sociedad at, at age like 23 24 he is probably still going to be playing professional football at 30 he's just not yeah, but even then well. honestly so like uh i was at a championship club and there were two strikers at 18 uh, that the whole coaching staff was raving about you'd have had no idea um like they were the they, they were the tip like the whole team was built around them uh one of them is now valued at about 60 million pounds in the transfer market the other one's currently playing for maidenhead Can and you say who it was? uh yeah i think it's so like the the 50 man player is zaha mm-hmm. and his strike partner was a kid called ibra sakaja uh and yet like at 18, the coaches had no idea who would have been the ones to make it. Uh, I heard Clive Allen on the radio. So Clive Allen, like, record goal scorer, coached Harry Kane at the academy, and he said no one at 18 thought he was going to make it. So if the coaches and the players mm. don't, don't know, there's no way we as outsiders could possibly know. Uh, I know of one Tottenham player who are under-19. I told, you, I told you you'd make me look stupid. <laughs> no, but it's, just, it's really interesting to me because like, I knew one kid at under-19 at Tottenham who scored a hat-trick against Barcelona in the next-gen competition. Uh, and that, un- he would have been hyped so much. And he's now playing for Barnet. Uh, and that's within, what, six or seven years. <laughs> and yet uh, he, he was the one. And like, played for England. Like, these guys have played England under-19s and under-18s. And yet it's just really, really hard to make it as a professional footballer. And I think people think it's like, yes, Turkey might definitely be Mbappe, uh, Someone has to be the next. Yeah. I would say the next Mbappe, like the kid's twenty. Uh, but like, <laughs> the next day, the next, yeah, yeah, uh, next big thing. But like, if you look at the players from ten years ago who were hyped, but even if you look at like the, ones the, the, who take to, look at Michael Owen, yeah. like scored in the World Cup at what eighteen yeah. for England, one of the most amazing goals of the tournament. I mean, you can imagine what the price he'd have been after that goal in yeah. in, in the index had it been around that then. And he's obviously went on to have a career as a professional footballer, but he drifted off, and he wouldn't have been he wouldn't have been worth much in terms of dividends in the last decade of his career. Even Rooney's similar. Yeah. yeah. Well, like let's take the top three youngsters, like youngest players who've I think played or scored in the Premiership. You've got James Milner, who would have been seen as like sixteen attacking mid, would have been great. Jose Baxter, uh, who's now I think playing League One, if I'm not mistaken, or maybe even in like America, uh, and but yet. Michael Owen or Robbie Fowler would have been high on that list and, and, they, and they did have a good career. So like you're looking at this current 16-year-old and you don't know if he's going to be Milner who has a career but nowhere near the attacking one we thought, Jose Baxter who doesn't, or Michael Owen. Or Neymar. Uh, right, yeah. And you just don't know. Uh, Where on that spectrum they're going Yeah, to and of course you can make money off these players because you won't be holding them for the whole 10 years probably and you can trade also, in and out. Like, but like, I get that. It is almost impossible to value someone like Turkey. Mm. Like valuing that bet, you still have to have an anchor. I think you still have to make some assumptions so that you have a feeling about what you're prepared to pay for him and so on. But, but a lot of the value has to be subjective because there's so. But like he could, he could play for another yeah. eighteen years. Like you have no idea. What well, your poll do. on Czechy, I thought was really yeah. interesting. About would I feel more comfortable holding him at twenty than I would at sixteen? Well, I guess it was more about like the value. I was wondering whether people value the fact he's sixteen over twenty because he's got four more years of career. Yeah. And actually, people do. People thought he would have been underpriced 
people think on that, at that time when I did the poll, people thought he was underpriced at 16, but would have been overpriced at 20. Interesting. Assuming everything else was the same, which I thought was really interesting because actually between 16 and 20, not many people are going to earn very much. Yeah. Um, this, this leads very well into our next mm. question because PB Hunter, who was great on the pod when he came on, he said, talk for one hour. I think we've got time for <laughs> no that. Problem with that. Uh, oh, probably no problem. But about the intrinsic links between value and age, please. If you knew a player's retirement date with certainty, would you be confident in, pr- in, in pricing them correctly? If they were an older player. Yeah. So look, if I knew when Messi was going to retire... Uh, I would feel pretty confident about making an accurate assessment of how many dividends he'd return and what he was worth. Sure. Um, Cherky, who the hell, like, yeah, because yeah. He, you could tell me he's going to retire at 34, but I have no idea if he's going to be playing League One or, you know, the best player in the world. So um, I need a lot more information to make a, a sensible um, uh, valuation of, of him. But for the older a player gets, the more your assessment of their retirement date but why do people seem to be I'm trying to word this in like a nice way they seem to be purposefully oblivious to this they, I, I feel like in their gut yeah. people know that it's like a big factor but people seem to be trying to preach that it doesn't matter well I think people want it to be true uh, because it's your bet so there's a bit of confirmation bias going on there um, also because they can make money on if everyone else believes this player will yeah. will grow. Um, as I say, the only way to lose all your stake on FI is to be holding a player when they retire. So it boggles me that it isn't one of the most discussed uh, things. Um, an answer to the question, I guess, for me is I don't think I would be able to accurately measure a player's value if I knew their time of day, unless they're really old. But what we can do is you can talk on averages. Yeah, and like exactly. we know if I have 100 players... That the average age for retirement, it's like in the documents out there, I think the PFA did a nice report on it, it's 35 uh, from professional football. So for a PB league, you'd expect to be a bit less. But for a player who's really, really good, he'd probably stay in the PBB for a bit longer. So I can say fairly comfortably, 35 if I'm pushing 36. And there'll be one or two outliers, of course. But like, therefore, I can say this is what I think generally the rate of depreciation for a 32 or 33 on average year old should be. Um, and also, is like even if they can play to thirty-eight, how many divs do you think they're winning between thirty-five and thirty-eight? Like, there's one or two maybe out there. But so we like, saw Joaquin um, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. seventy p for thirty-eight. 38 yeah. yeah, and Corzola's obviously still yeah d- doing well. And everyone says Zlatan is like the example, but like Zlatan didn't win divs the last eighteen months. Like, yeah. Also, like he's a physical freak. Right. Like he's an, a complete outlier. Yeah. And so I just think. I use a decent metric. A measure, I think, is like number of games played. Yeah. And if some players, like Michael Owen, had a good first 10 years and a terrible second 10 years because he was overplayed in the first 10 years. So, like, we know if you're lucky, like, 800 is average, is like a good number. 1,000 is really rare. How many games do you think your player has left? Is, it yeah. should be part of what you... Yeah. And you're never going to know for sure, but it should be part of the yeah. But the discussion. reason people don't want to accept that this is true is because what they want to do is hold that player... Uh, and make all the dividends off them until the last possible moment, sell them, and then have them sink off a cliff. But that's just not, uh, just not how it works. Like, everyone else because thinks that because happens, everyone else would do the less, same thing, right? Yeah, unless someone has like a Eduardo-esque leg break, it's not a yeah. kind of off a cliff. And even then, you know, you've got the Eduardos, the Ramses who get injured that badly, and they 
still make a career for themselves. Well, this is the thing. So this kind of, like, someone got really annoyed at me when I tweeted it, but I was like, when... I can't remember who was he... Everyone thought I had done their ACL, and they dropped 20% for, like, an ACL, which seems to be about a number that seems to kick in. If that's what a 24-year-old drops for doing their ACL, you do have to factor in... What does, if a 31 or 32 year old, oh, yeah. because it's like a larger well, percentage I mean, of their I mean, career, like speak, that like, should be a, like, a discussion, I think. As we speak, I think the, um, uh, there's a few rumours going around that um, Benega is going to join some Saudi Arabian team, which right. is probably worse than an ACL. Yeah. But like, if that happened to a player who's like 20 or yeah. whatever, I, I kind of like to think about like, what would like a Ramirez or like a. Um, Oscar yeah, be priced Oscar's when they went yeah. from like Chelsea at like a, a relatively young age yeah. to um, to China compared to you know a thirty one like a Lavezzi going to China like you have to be you have to price those players differently because Oscar could could have come back you know like he could have come back and and had a really good career in Europe or whatever um, and you know Pato could have come back and had a really good but like the likelihood of Lavezzi at thirty one going to China playing there for three years then coming back to a PB league and doing amazingly is so unlikely same with Depay will probably come back and he'll still be a, I'm, I'm sure a very good player right and there are you're, you're gonna you'll probably go into a lot of statistics and facts about how more unlikely he is to be as right. good as he probably would have been if he did his if he didn't do his ACL but Cazorla to not play for like two years at his age the likelihood of him coming back to the level that he did was so excruciatingly yeah. low. But then everyone uses that as the proof of as the example. As the yeah. example yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Which is interesting. But it, concisely, wrap it up for me. You know, if someone's listening for the first time to the thick cast, why why is age so important? The intrinsic value between uh, age and or intrinsic link between value and age. Because the moment they retire they're worth nothing. Which and is true for real football. Which is true <laughs> life. Yeah, yeah. And I think for real football is moving more in that direction now. Look, you, you've got Madrid who've just shelled out 120 million euros on three different 17-year-old yeah. Brazilians in the past however many months, right? It's, yeah. it's a lot of money. Whereas in the past, you could get those guys for a lot cheaper and um, people would probably pay a lot of money for players that are 28, 29 yeah. in their prime. Like, but I think the kind of Alexis Sanchez deal where he went to United for 500 grand a week where they were paying 30 million pound wages a year and they give him a six year contract 180 million pounds outlay on a 29 year old going on to 30 whoever did the maths there went we're going to pay this guy 180 million pounds to play football for Manchester United until he's 35 right they obviously messed that up so badly what did they do in the summer they bought Aaron Wambasaka they bought Harry Maguire and they bought um, Daniel James what's what's the what's the common denominator there do you know what I mean like Football is moving more in that direction where even... I'm an Arsenal fan, right? Um, you mentioned Wilf Zaha earlier, which you, you worked with. They were really linked with him and they were really linked with Pepe. 28, 23. Probably similar, similar prices. Who's the lower risk? And like, it just happens in real football and it's happening more in real football and that's going to be reflected on FI. Yeah. Uh, I actually think, for the most part, the prices reflect the transfer value fairly... Well, uh, on FI, um, we know Messi at 25 in real life would be worth loads more than Messi is now in both FI and in football. And it's happened so, yeah. with Ronaldo. He used to yeah. be worth a lot more than he is now. Like, it is what it is. Yeah, I mean, the example I, I always use, I may have used it on the pod before, but for new, for new um, users, 
if you buy a if you buy a leasehold for a hundred years and buy a leasehold for ten years, uh, all other things being equal, the uh, hundred year one is worth more because it's just gonna, it just lasts a lot longer. It's the same with a player's <laughs> career. Um, it doesn't matter whether you intend to live in it for a week or hold the player for a week. Yeah. The value is still based on the amount of time that you are buying that asset for, which in the case of someone coming towards the end of their career is not very much time. Well, there we have it. That's a nice, concise way to end that uh, that kind of like chat there. Uh, just need to plug index gain quickly. The the offer is slightly changed. So if you use the FIG 2020 code, uh, which I'm hoping a lot of people have been doing, you get five pounds off your first month, but that's not all. If you go for the semi-annual plan, right, you get one month free and five pounds off, which is a bargain. Sam, you're a big fan. Oh yeah, absolutely. Plug them for me, do my job. I, I just, I do genuinely find it insane that this is the best source of data about any player and <laughs> there's still only like, no, 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 I mean it's insane that more people don't use it. Yeah. There's like 95% of the market still aren't using this tool, which is by far the best source of data available. So why, you're, if you're not using it, you are at a massive disadvantage to everyone who is. So, and it's really not that expensive. So if you have any kind of size of port, it makes, uh, it's just seems very obvious. Yeah. And you've got a great community there to talk to as well. So I've had a few people say that they don't have a big enough port for it and I was thinking oh God, I don't think you need much size at all to justify the cost because like enough. you just need one good trade. And you've made the money. Yeah. Yeah. Or even just the alerts like we'll like probably Yeah I don't know how people trade without the mm. alerts on prices. I don't use them. <laughs> <laughs> I have to admit. Seriously. Yeah I don't use the alerts. Yeah. God, I'm checking. Oh, I thought, I thought you meant index gay. You know, when you no, said I don't, I don't use no, it, that would have been really awkward. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, I use I use index. I talked to both of you on index gay. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I use index gay, and I use the community and and the the data platform. I just don't use the alerts. Um, I think I that is probably because I don't. I have a few. If I did use the alerts, and I probably should redo it and rejig it. I would do it for players that I know that I'm going to hold for a long time. Mm. I wouldn't do it for players that I think that I'm not necessarily going to hold for a certain amount of time because I'm not really worried unless they get an ACL mm. or Maybe. like they move to Saudi Arabian mm. League, what the price does until where I think they should mm. get to before I sell. But anyway, the price alerts are amazing though. Yeah, yeah. And the kind of portfolio tracker. For me as well, I've got a small I, portfolio. I use that a lot because I have a very big portfolio. See, I have lots go. of players. So the, the portfolio tracker is absolutely invaluable for me if you've got 10 players it's easier um but i have a few more than that so. mm. yeah i've got i think 20 to 30 so it's a bit easier for me to keep track of but um yeah fig 2020 five pounds off your first month or uh off your six month membership with a free month in there as well uh over on indexgain.co.uk so plenty of good plugging there so next section jesus we're gonna run a long time. <laughs> sorry about this lads um psychology section starting with metropolis from the football index forum uh one you've got two-parter one examples of how they have correctly predicted trader behavior or patterns and when they haven't and what did you learn so firstly when did you short fire um i found recently i found the buying injured players interesting because it was such a trend that everyone's going it's easy money to buy injured players because there'd been an overreaction to selling the injured players whereas i now kind of feel that there was there's an overreaction the other way where people are so quick to buy the injured players that they don't dip. So it definitely now affects me not rushing to sell some of my injured players straight away because you know that like the trend is people are so keen to jump on a trend, but once you know something's a trend, that trend's probably 
Eaton itself and is the next one. Uh, so the, I think buying and selling of injured players has been quite an interesting one. What about when you haven't correctly predicted one? Um, oh, God. Uh, I'm just really good at trading. So <laughs> I, don't know. Uh, I don't know. I'll have a think. If Sam, you kind of think... Uh, I can do my favourite one that I got right and plenty I've got wrong. But the, the, my Earlier that you got this, uh, the average PB players... You know, when people were buying really high average players. Oh, yeah. So when I first joined, yeah, definitely. I, I bought all the yeah, Pianics and the Brozoviches and all their baseliners. And then the, I, and then I just couldn't work out why they were then falling in the second half of the season. Um, uh, I have I thankfully learned from that this time. But um, the my favourite one was looking at the summer and uh, thinking, who's going to rise over the summer? Yes, the transfer, but, but who else? Um, and I just went through these squad lists of every major to- uh, team playing in one of the youth tournaments over the summer and I literally bought every single player <laughs> <laughs> and like the Spain the Germany the Italy you just caused a bubble for the summer and uh, and they all went up and I sold them all when they got to the tournament that was that was particularly delightful if I'm, um, I'm going to be a bit of a fanboy of Sam's uh, trading I heard I remember on one of the early pods that he did with you of how you worked out what the you did your own share split oh, prices yes. Because uh, you thought under a pound sounds cheap. Yeah. Uh, that's clever psychology trading for me. And that did happen when the share split happened. Mm. Um, but the um, but then I yeah I've made I've done I, I I missed the I knew this season that there would be a moment you know the div increase was going to cause a surge on the sort of older players that win a lot of dividends uh, and then there was going to come a point where it switched back to youth. Mm-hmm. I, I knew that was coming. And I still missed it, <laughs> and and I and I just sold too late on a few of those players. Um, so even when you know something's coming, you can still make a hash of it. Sometimes you just can't rearrange. I, I found that some points, like I I, I kind of went through the. I, I I said that I did really well in the last like week ten days, but I found it really surprising that I did because I was trying to restructure parts of my portfolio. I was trying to like move, and I, I, there was a couple of positions where I was like, "Oh, it's going to be hard to move," but if it does, I can I know where it's going. Um, and then a couple of other bits where I was like, "I really want to sell this player," but and I know there's better value out there elsewhere, maybe topping up my own portfolio, but I can't really get out of that right now unless I instant sell massively, and then I'd have to move that money into a player that goes up a lot. But um, yeah, like you just you know it's coming, but like you always do it a little bit too slowly, and yeah. someone moves before you. Honestly, I'm, I think okay, the other way now is like, I think I rush myself too soon. So I think the player's going to rise for a certain reason. Mm. He starts to rise. I was like, okay, that reason's happened, and I sell. <laughs> and then you still got another week or two weeks sometimes of that. So I think I'm sometimes. I've done that with a few a few I get ahead um, like, of myself on it. Um, transfer rumours which I'm terrible at transfer trading where I've been like oh that rumour's already on Twitter so they've already had their rise right and then they rise like another 20p I'm like oh yeah. damn I could have yeah. oh well uh, his second question is uh, to what extent are the following driving the, the current market fear anticipation greed and ego <laughs> lots <laughs> <laughs> like that's pretty much it in a nutshell yeah I think uh, especially um the fear of missing out, like the trending list, maybe not so much because it's full of rubbish, but like when you see Haaland rising, for example, I think it's really hard for people just not to... to... Idly by. Yeah, yeah, especially like if you spend a lot of time on the index, you can literally see the numbers going up. Um, so yeah, I think fear is a massive one, loads. Is that fear? Yeah, absolutely. Fear of missing out, but also fear of losses. I mean, mm. we've talked about this before, but the the 
people are much more scared of losses than they feel um, happy about gains. So I think there is a real sense people hate selling at a loss. So they just kind of leave players in their port because something's going to happen that's going to make them rise and then they'll be able to sell them at the amount they paid or, or above, um, which, is, which is not what you should be doing. But the, the, the fear of having to take that loss is quite... Uh, um, sends people down the wrong path. I think fear, the more I think about it, is more relevant for people who, if you don't have a way of valuing your player because you see him dropping and and you don't know why so then you sell whereas if I really think a player is valuable I'm happy for him I'm not happy but like it doesn't doesn't stress me out as much because I I believe yeah Um, so I think if you don't know why the player is at that price Anticipation? Uh, I think big on IPOs probably Um, I think for people who weren't on the index at the beginning people don't want to miss out like there's less windows to have like Sancho at 10p or whatever mm. it was so I think maybe an extent um, I'd probably say hype more than anticipation because anticipation means you think it's going to happen whereas I guess hype is just like Although you can get it, the more times you announce something the more times you'll get a rise off it like because people will anticipate it you know, so if you if you announce that you're going to do something and then announce that your review of the thing and then announce and then the actual thing happens you'll get three rises whereas yeah. if you just do it and announce it, you'll only get one. Well, so that's what I was wondering. You know when they did their announcement recently and they said they were going to do it in the afternoon and people were literally going, I've Googled it, the afternoon finishes <laughs> at, f- at five o'clock. And I was always wondering, was that part of their master plan to build anticipation or were they just like a bit behind schedule? <laughs> well, it's one of those where like, I'll always tell my friends to meet like at 12 o'clock to play footy, but we're actually playing at 12.30. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone gets there at 12.15, but we start at 12.30. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think... With that, they might have been like, oh, if we say late afternoon, everyone will be on Twitter at six o'clock refreshing. Yeah. Bang, 6.37, and everyone sees it. Um, Maybe that was a bit of genius in there. Greed? Uh, A bit. I don't think too much. I think most people are often, if anything, like looking to like move on to the next one. I think there is a lot of that. You think there's quite a lot of greed? Uh, I think that's the reason some players get up very high in price. Like, I, I really think like, uh, I'm not saying Haaland's overpriced or underpriced, but part of the reason he is 570 is people are like, I think he'll be, I, th- I think he'll go up like 10%, but some people, so, so, some people yeah. might sit there and tell you, I actually think the downside's 20%, but the upside's 10%, and they'll keep, and they'll take that trade. because they want, they want yeah. an extra 10%. Maybe I'm just risk averse. I like to bank profit, and mm. and sometimes it means I miss out on risers afterwards, but I'm kind of getting more okay with that now. Greed, Sam? Mm, yeah, well, obviously, we're all trying to make money, so there's, 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 greed is the ultimate underlying purpose of everything we're doing. Um, but um, I, think, I think if you... Going back to the bubble conversation, that's what would cause that. If people just get yeah. greedy and, don't think, and think it's going to keep going forever and they don't need to think about value. Um, but I, haven't, I, I don't think that's happening at the moment. That's a fun one. Ego. Uh, yes, uh, I often wonder what trades people would make if they weren't allowed to tell people about the trades. Uh, mm-hmm. I think like it's. Not, I think a lot of people on football index, as well as to make money, is they want people to know they're making money uh, because they want to be seen as. Either I was thinking about this. Earlier, it's like this weird combination of you either want to be like seen as like Brad Pitt from Moneyball, um, or you want to be seen as like Leonardo DiCaprio from Wolf from Wall Street. Um, and maybe like Steve Crowell from the Big Short, like, like, like. But either way, like, you want to project an image, uh, and I think for some, well, for some people, I think that's impo- more, just as important the ego as. The Isn't actual. it an ego battle with yourself to some extent as well? Because like, you are, as you said, more likely to think that you're better at something, mm. just naturally as a human. Yeah. Is it kind of like 
right, if I sell this player, I've lost. Yeah. Yeah, you you get because people naturally think they're good at this thing, or at least getting better at it. Otherwise, they wouldn't do it. If they start losing, you get this kind of cognitive dissonance. You're like, how is that happening when I'm good at this? Yeah. Um, and then you start rationalising it. Oh, that was just bad luck, or you know, this bastard on Twitter crashed the player, or you know, um, it shouldn't be happening. It's irrational. Everyone else is wrong, and I'm still right. Like. All of the you, you start to you start to come up with all these justifications, and that can again cloud your mind and stop you making a sensible judgment and thinking. Actually, I just made a mistake, and that was stupid, and I'm not going to do it again. Um, so that 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 kind of ego battle with self is, yeah. is is a powerful drive. I mean, even this podcast, like, there's a bit, a bit of ego of like, let let me tell you my thoughts, and that people will really <laughs> care about my thoughts. Whereas, like, my wife doesn't care about my thoughts, and yet, like. So no one else probably really should either, uh, and everyone's just guessing. But there is this ego of like, let me tell you my wisdom. Like, so like there is that inherent in all of us. I think I'm never doing another episode again. <laughs> Maybe uh, you asked the question. <laughs> it's all right in that respect. There will be no one hundred and twenty episodes. Um, uh, Carl Brown does great data stuff. Uh, what single bias do you both believe is the most frequent? Choose just one for new users and choose one for existing or more. So this was my favourite question because obviously I love the thinking bias stuff and I just did a blog on it. Um, it was really good. Thank you. Uh, it's, it's on Index Game and everyone should go. Yeah, 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 totally. Again, the validations are uh, perfect, right? Um, I think for new users, um, FOMO, uh, the fear of missing out, you see someone rise and you're not on it and you think you've missed the boat, I think it's huge for new users. I don't think it's the same for more experienced users because you know that tomorrow someone else will rise and like you've seen it before. Uh, for existing users, um, I think it's like a confirmation bias because pretty much everyone has made money so far, they think their way is the way and therefore it's hard when someone else says, no, there's this other way to trade. They go, no, but that's wrong because my way must be right. So they just very much see it in their eyes. And last time I came on, I've been racking my brains for this one, I did an experiment that you properly messed up uh, when I was trying to teach about the research. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, which... Yeah. Uh, so I've I was up... trying to, like, double bluff you and me at the same time, <laughs> and it just didn't work. So I've, I've got another experiment to show confirmation oh. bias. Uh, and, of course, it's going to go wrong because that's what happens. Uh, okay, so there's a rule, um, a specific rule that I'm thinking of, and you have to guess... Uh, the next number and tell me what the rule is, okay? So the order of numbers is two, four, six, eight. What is the next number and what's the rule? <laughs> don't, 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 you don't have to overthink it. Ten. Okay, and what do you think the rule is? Um, add two. <laughs> okay, uh, that's n- incorrect. That's not the right rule. Any other guesses for the rule? Ah, uh, fuck. I know it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just enjoying watching you. Yeah, right totally. I am. I'm not getting involved with it. Um, oh, actually, no, I don't know it. So the correct answer, uh, the rule that I was thinking of is the next number just has to be higher than the last one. So it, it just happened like it could be nine, it could be 11. But because of the confirmation bias, once you get that first rule in your head of it must be plus two, it's really hard to consider any other... I couldn't rule because you're so focused. I on considered like, a wrong one. <laughs> I, won't, I won't admit to what it was. But I think that happens with FI all the time for existing users. We've all made money because it's been a growth market. So everyone has confidence in their way. And therefore, it's really hard to see alternative ways because your way has been right for you. So, yeah, that's, there you go. My, my experiment worked uh, on this, this one. Works. Yeah, exactly. I know, yeah, because he's clever, that's why. Uh, Why don't you go and answer this one? Um, So for new users, definitely FOMO is huge. I'd say recency bias as well, because they don't have... 
if they're not using index gain, if they're not thinking about data, they haven't got the history of the platform, so they're using very recent events to drive their decision making. Um, so they're buying players who are doing well now, rather than ones who may have had an injury or a dip, and but they've had a they're really strong players from the past. That's a danger as well at the moment with this transfer dividend because mm. people might buy players for the transfer that might plummet afterwards. Mm. Yeah, very much so. Um, so. So I think I'd add that one for new users. And then I'd say for, old, for longer term users, uh, there's I no, think... There's no more experiments. <laughs> I'm not going to do any experiments. Yeah, that's right, you can sit easy. Oh. See, I'm not actually a psychologist. <laughs> I'm actually a psychologist. Um, hyperbolic discounting. So this is, this is the, um, the fact that people will always take a shorter term lower gain over a longer term larger gain. Mm. You know, if you get the balance right between the two. Do you know what, just... Sorry, I don't want to interrupt, but I like, I will. I said again, again. I don't want to, but I'm doing it because it's a decent point, and I think you'll 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 say some inspiring words after it. But I was I was speaking to a couple of traders, and they were talking about how they've learned that their strategy is they will prefer getting fifteen percent or twenty percent over a week increase rather than one percent over like. Or like 0.25% over every day in those two weeks, for example. Mm. But most people will prefer the, the, the latter. Yeah. But you'll make more money with the former. And I think it was another experiment. It was like, um, w- would you rather own a player that does, in terms of dividend returns, mm. 0, 0, 0, 1,000, 0, 0, 0, or 100, 100, 100, 100, 100? Like when you put the numbers yeah. there, there's only one answer. It's the the, la- uh, the former one because you make more money overall. But people will often choose the latter because they win more consistently. Yeah. Well, I guess it's meant to be fun as well. If that's what you find fun, like yeah, I do. But I do think people it's a it's a version of recency bias in the other direction. People just find it very difficult to think about uh, a bigger benefit further down the line, mm. and they like the idea of a short benefit now. Yeah. So they will tend to do things that will maximise the short-term return, even if the longer-term return would be bigger if they did different things. So you know there actually is an experiment for that, you'll be happy oh, to hear. No, uh, no that's, that's, <laughs> on the basic <laughs> level is, um, if I offered you a £1,000 in a year, mm. uh, what would be the amount that you would take now uh, instead of a £1,000 in, in the year? Can I stick it into a fi? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I don't know. Like, um, it depends. And, like, of course, like, all things being equal, but I think the tipping point is about 700 or so for mm. most people. Uh, that's interesting. Which is, like, it's pretty much what yeah, you're describing exactly now, isn't it? Yeah. That, that's interesting, though, because, like, I think people have a really... They really struggle to um, separate... or not separate, like, conjoin utility and value, if that makes sense. Like, if, you, if I said I'd take 500, but I will then spend that 500 on something that I think utility of in that year yeah. is worth 500 pounds to me or yeah. more then that would be a good value bet for me for example if you gave me 500 rounds and i went right i'm going to buy better mics for me that would be great because you're giving me free things yeah. that i can then extract more value out of right if that makes yeah, sense yeah no i get the other way of i take the money straight up because i like i might get hit by a bus tomorrow mm. so like mm. uh I'm not great on delayed gratification, um, and I think that happens a lot on, on the index mm. is short-term wins. Delayed gratification is a very good measure of future success, as we know from the marshmallow test. So. I don't know what that is. Explain the marshmallow test. <laughs> famous psychologist called Walter Mischel. Um, he took a, a load of kids, young kids, five years old, I think, um, and uh, put a marshmallow in front of them or an Oreo or another treat and said, if you 
uh, can wait 15 minutes, you'll get another one. You'll have two marshmallows. And then they just left the room and watched what the kid did. And some kids just like couldn't wait. And they were just like <laughs> straight in. Others just sat there like, oh God, I really want to eat it, but I'm going to get my second marshmallow and waited and got two. And they looked at their whole lives. They tracked them for their whole lives. And the ones who'd waited for the second marshmallow had much better life outcomes, like all other variables being taken into account. Wow. Like the ability to delay gratification as a child is an incredibly powerful measure of lifetime success. So that's why, that's why I think it's an important bias to think about. Short term, long term. There you go. We talked about earlier. Nice one. Uh, FI Lamblings, uh, Lambings, who interestingly, I worked in the same building as uh, for a while. We were in literally adjacent companies opposite next to each other and we hadn't known well we i used to work in that building and he was like oh did you by any chance work in like mm. that tower i was like yeah who did you work for so company well. x literally right next to me which is interesting and i think he's going to come on the pod soon uh who's the most irrational trade that you've made at one pu- based purely because you think the price will increase due to psychological influences rather than an actual merit um my one that I got absolutely cane for on the Slack community, because uh, someone was ticker watching, uh, I bought l- quite a lot of Fellaini as soon as Mourinho got announced, um, because I just thought enough people would put do two plus two equals five uh, and go. He paid for him once, so therefore he must be. Matic as well. Um, I didn't do Matic. <laughs> what annoyed me is, and I sold like too early because that's tendency what I do apparently. Um, and then he got another massive rise with David Moyes when he went back to West Ham because people literally did the same thing again. I think even some journalists basically did this lazy reporting. Yeah. Uh, and for all I know, he's going to go there now. Um, but I didn't think, I wasn't considering internal value whatsoever. I just thought enough people might make the same mistake, basically. And yeah, and, and that, definitely Fellaini for me. Sir? I, I really like this question. So I thought for quite a while about it. Um, my, I think mine's Declan Rice. Um, when he scored, he scored a goal, which he barely ever does. Yeah. Quite like one of his first games for West Ham, and he got loads of media. Uh, and I didn't buy like on the goal. I bought afterwards. I just thought people are just going to see young English, MB, and just think he's going to keep rising forever. Even though I know he's a defensive midfielder who's really not worth an awful lot, probably in all likelihood. Um, and I just bought some, sold a few days later, felt really dirty about it. Yeah. Should I say this? I quite like Declan Rice as, a, <laughs> as an FA hold. I think he might be, I think he's future England captain. Well, there we go, debate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I would definitely have been wrong to hold him from that point. That <laughs> I can definitely say, but maybe he's a good buy now. I don't know. Not one, not one that I'd go for. Future England captain, I'm not sure about that. I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to say We're too much. We're going to sidetrack. We're going to spend an hour. I thought I'd just provide some balance if yeah, any of Declan Rice holds out there. Trent Maguire. This was, <laughs> this was a year ago, so obviously variables have changed. But yeah. I, I was, it was, to, it was answering the question that I didn't think he had, like, I thought it was a silly price. I just bought and sold because I knew he'd go up and mm. then I felt bad about it. <laughs> do, you, do you, like, you know, the interview that he did with uh, talking about VAR, does that kind of come into your thinking a lot about, like, whether you think he could become a captain in the future oh, stuff um, like that, or is it more on the pitch no not so much I just think um, on a really boring level if you look at a player's ages and how many minutes they've played like there's not many 20 year olds who played more minutes than him in a position where you definitely have to be quite a good leader or pretty decent the way you hear a lot of people talk about him just publicly about having good leadership material 
Um, I think, yeah, I, I think he's definitely a candidate in the future. Have you not seen the video of Wilshire jumping out of the yeah, machine at him? That's not a captain. Jesus, no, but, but, he's but, freaking out that much. When but what I love about that Wilshire video is... Um, it's a healthy reminder of what we're betting on because like Wilshire's like a 30 year old man hiding in a washing machine and like these are the sort of players that we're betting on it's just nonsense uh, which is brilliant yeah I actually think I've got my favourite question up next because I think you two have already had yours uh, it's a combination of two questions one from Dazzler FI and one from FBL Grinder I'll, I'll read them both out and we can decide which way we take it but Dazzler says who does best on the index a psychologist a data analyst or a football expert assuming little to no knowledge of the other two areas and fpl grinder says which of these three equally competent people would make the most money on fi one watches 25 top flight uh, matches a week with no access to stats two watches no football but crunches every stat and three doesn't do either as they tick a watch 10 hours a day (laughs) 14 on the weekend studying the market so definitely for the first one, who does worse by mile is the psychologist. Like it's the least valuable skill out of the three. Why the hell are we doing this podcast? Then? I have no idea. Like, <laughs> I, well, like, I think it's one of the things that I, I, you can talk a good game as opposed. <laughs> like, there's definitely people that I would trust with my money more than I trust with myself on FI uh, who, who aren't psychologists. Um, so yeah, on that one, in terms of the data versus the watcher, um, I mean, obviously it's not either or. And if you look at any decent football club and any sporting organisation, the people who value data also spend money on scouts and watch football. So, like, there really isn't... It's a false dichotomy, essentially, yeah. in the two. Um, I probably... I'd, I'd probably go the football watcher probably more, but I'd probably come to... I'd trust the data analysis. Uh, but you, because you, you, you think not, about who, who does more overall in the, in, okay. on FI. Okay, I, well. I, okay. I, I won't hedge my answer. I think the data analysis Sky does better because... We're not scouting for footballers. You're scouting for people to do well on FI, mm-hmm. which means there's a whole bunch of players who are good FI holds who aren't good footballers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I'm, if I was scouting for who my football club should buy, it might be different. But I'm scouting on who does better on the PB matrix, not who does better as a footballer. And the two things are different. Mm-hmm. What do you reckon, Sam? Yeah, I, I mean, I think on the second question, all of those three things are types of data. Like watching football, yeah. watching the ticker, doing data analysis. Right. They're all types of data. Uh, they're all just different types of data. So all you're saying is what is the most useful type of data? Mm. Um, and I probably would agree that it's actually the analytics, given what you're looking for. And you can actually be misled by a very attractive player who doesn't actually fit the matrix very well um, by just watching football. Um, but I, I think doing all three is valuable. Mm. Um, and... Um, and they all tell you something quite different. So you wouldn't be a very good trader doing any one thing. Um, you'd miss out on a lot of information. I'd worry about the mental health long term of the ticker watcher because <laughs> it's not healthy to stay looking at a computer ten hours a day, and like, and it is a gambling addictive platform. That's so like, also hours you'd in the week probably day, be able to make more money doing something else. <laughs> yeah. I do always I wonder that. This with yeah. IPOs, it's like I could spend like four hours staring at this. But the amount of money you can make, given how fast it goes, I could probably make more money doing doing a lot of other things. Well, I always wonder, like, and to be fair, if some people, like, if, if like, they're in a situation where they need that money and that's their best way to make it, like, I, I wouldn't, I'm not knocking it, but I do wonder, like, what's the best flip or the average flip most people make on IPOs? And I don't think most make more than 10 or 20% because yeah. it goes so quickly. 
And so then you're talking about quite fine margins with commission and yeah. you have to be really on it. I'm, and I'm not time. staring at a computer and pressing like one button for four hours to do that. It's just, but other people, as you say, they, they work for them. To some extent, not guaranteed. If you went and worked at Tesco's for four hours, you are going to get yeah. paid that wage, yeah. right? With IPOs, you are might making some money, or you might. Although not. I might not go, might not get paid because I can't reach the top shelf. <laughs> <laughs> but that's why I do generally hate the argument of it's better than a bank because, like, yes, you might be able to make more profit, but like, you're taking more risk. You're taking more risk, and, but you yeah. see that all the time on on the timeline of people saying better than an ISA, and it's like it's different to an ISA. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah, I do worry about people with everything in FI. Yeah. It's like. Balanced risk across the board. And Scott, you said that was your favourite question. What's your answer then? I actually think that in the current state of the market, watching football. Right. I genuinely think if you... It depends though. There's not enough uh, specificity to this question. If you're telling me that I can have the FI matrix there next to me and I can Mm. watch the football... I would say watch football. But if you're saying that I can watch the football but I have no idea what the matrix is and I have to buy players based on just watching football, then I'd probably err to the data side. But if I knew what the matrix was, I personally think that if I watch 25 games a week, I could probably make more money than someone who doesn't watch any football and just has the data in front of them. But that's not based, that's not based on maybe... Uh, the true value of the players that we both might trade. Most people are watching football. Yeah, that most people. That's what I said to yeah, you before you answered your question. I was like, "Well, what do most FI traders do?" Yeah. Not you just said it right. Ninety-five mm. percent of people aren't in an index game. Ninety mm. percent aren't of people well, aren't on not, index game. You might, and, and again, you might, but you might not have bought Adama Traore on stats. But lots of people bought him because they watched him the other night. Yeah. yeah. And you could have, if you were watching too, you could have probably realised that was going to happen even yeah. if the stats you were watching... But long term, who would you give your money to? <laughs> uh, and of course, it's, it's like, there's always going to be people have both. Is it like, yeah. From what I've seen on Twitter anyway, the people who do a lot of the data analysis also watch quite a lot of football yeah. as well. So it really isn't either or. It's FDL yes. Chef who came on the podcast who... Funny man, that podcast. Very funny bloke. But he, he came on the pod, he, he does quite a lot of data stuff. He's quite data heavy. But he told me that he... Most weekends will watch every Premier League game. He'll watch the replay of every single game uh, if he's got enough time. Jesus, my wife already hates this thing. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not doing uh, that. Let's make a pact. 2020. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I really like that. And I guess it depends on what data you're looking at. Because I think, I think a lot yeah. of people don't know what the important data Because it doesn't... Is. It's not only the PB Matrix data. Right. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Like, it doesn't... There are other data points that are valid that that can help your hypothesis on whether a player will become value in the future, which yeah. is what we're all betting on. Totally. I do often buy players who I've never seen play, and it doesn't like. I don't tend to. I don't think. I mean, it'd be interesting to do an analysis of this, but I don't think I make less money on ones I haven't mm. seen play. Mm. Like I was speaking to someone today who said that they do that not very often, but they said that they are more careful with how many futures that they buy on that player. Yeah, see, and I'm quicker to sell if I haven't seen them play much because I feel like, oh God, I haven't like verified it myself on some level. The, the other thing about data is like context yeah. is quite important because I might give you 10 PB scores for a player and you might be like, fuck, like shit. But then if I say, okay, in these two games they had 10 men and in that game he played out of position and in this game they played against the best team in the league, what and the, would and you have to be different? And they now have a new manager. Like Barcelona yeah. is a trend at the moment. They got, they got smacked today. Yeah, but people, <laughs> the last 10 days, people have very much been looking at them yeah. because 
the bets can change quickly because the context has changed. Yeah, uh, yeah. and I, I think it's so important. I see a lot of people posting stats with no content uh, context. And if the data set is very, very vast, then sure, context doesn't matter as much. But if, if people post like, oh, well, he's got... Um, this score in the last this average in the last five games it's like well those numbers actually don't mean that much if there's absolutely no context because that player who could be playing for I don't know um, let's say Bayern Munich could have played the five worst teams in the league or equally he could have played the five best teams in the league which that makes it more impressive or less impressive I heard a good story about data and context recently of um, the Norwich City guy who I can never pronounce his name Buen Dina yeah apparently the, the way they scouted him was they looked for players who'd created lots of chances in struggling teams who don't have much possession because mm. that's how they play. That's how they were going to do in the Premiership. So it wasn't just looking for stats. They knew what stats yeah. to look for, which I think is quite clever. Like, I mean, going back to the kind of money ball thing, often it's, it, you can get misled by watching stuff because they don't look right. Mm. Yeah. They're, they're, you know, they're, they just have an ungainly style. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, and, uh, and looking at the data gives you, gives you a... a a better sense. Well, like Kevin De Bruyne always looks knackered because yeah. he gets really red cheeked and he like doesn't look like you'd expect most well, professional Harry footballers. Harry Kane always looks knackered, right? Well, like... uh, but like it doesn't matter. Uh, yeah. yeah. I think Harry Kane's fitness is getting worse. I think he actually is knackered. Yeah, I think he actually is knackered. There's also a lot of stats to suggest he does a lot more running in the past two three years. He's done a lot more running outside of the centre of the pitch and in the final third mm. than he ever has done. So probably why he's looked like it um what was i gonna say on that point as well the kind of buendia thing apparently arsenal use stats dna the company like a subcontractor like consultant whatever to help them sign players um they basically wanted someone like ngolo kante and got luca terrera so i don't know how statistically those two things matched up um but it's interesting that like you found a player of similar height and similar kind of attributes. Yeah, so like search for short, tenacious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the yeah. sort of great thing I heard um, that the Houston Rockets do is um, they're not allowed to compare players of the same who have the same race or nationality as another player mm-hmm. to avoid laziness. So you can't just go, yeah, he's the next Pogba because he just happens to be black and French. You have to compare him to another player um, just so we don't have these thinking biases, so we don't get lazy. Which I think is quite a clever way of. Like, yeah. You mentioned the ungainly style, and you just mentioned the NBA. Like it's so much more apparent when an NBA player has a really weird shooting technique. Mm-hmm. But some players who have weird shooting techniques will often be better at shooting than players that have like very good form. Golf's a decent example of that. Yeah. You see some people who go, "I would never coach you to strike the ball like that." But you're very good at it, so like, yeah. that doesn't matter then. So, so was it Lonzo Ball uh, when he first came and he shot from like a weird, like yeah. they had to correct his shot. There's like basketball players who, who are ambidextrous who they're like, oh, you kite shit at shooting with your right hand, let's just try your left. And sometimes it works and it's really weird. Um, but there's loads of those kind of like nuances that data can't always like show you, yeah. um, which I think is really important. The context is so often like just, I think that's why, that's how those kind of base uh, scorers and average PB scoring mm. bubbles happen. People just post like, oh man, his average is like 170 and like in the last five games, he's averaged like 210. So the mm. average is increasing and like he might do well. It's like, well, actually, if you look at those five games, let's say Pjanic, for example, when he went on that early run, then he might go and do that again at some point in the season. But he scored like three goals, was it, in like four mm. or five, six games? But he doesn't usually mm. do. He's like a five, six, seven goal a, a season guy. Mm. And if you extrapolated that, 
very simply across his career, you would have just been like, well, yeah. hang That's on a clearly minute. clearly not going to be a 20 goal a season. Yeah, yeah. I don't think Pjanic is going to score 20 goals from number six this season. I know I'm no expert at it. I'm still doing my best to learn. But I think XG is being massively misinterpreted by most people. Because mm. uh, it's, it's one of the things that gets spoken about a lot. Uh, and yeah, so I'm not even confident enough in myself to really say here is how it should be used. Mm. But I'm just pretty sure... There's a misunderstanding. Well, well, there's a misunderstanding because uh, players can overperform their XG and still do it consistently. So right. Jamie Vardy does it a lot and has done it for however many years of top flight football he's played. It's because he's an excellent finisher. Because the way XG works is like if you shoot from this point yeah. on a pitch, say six yards out from the centre of the goal, you have like a zero point. Eight chance of scoring. But is a that goal. a zero point eight chance in the Premiership, or if you're playing the Champion? Like, does your level? You, usually, or was it compared against? Usually, uh, like most sites will give you the option just do Premier League okay, or like right. per league. Obviously, it won't be like oh, well, let's just randomly knock in like a Congolese league or something like that because of those your your mm. data would right. just be completely flawed. So let's just take Premier League for example, and it's zero point eight uh, for Jamie Vardy he might be overperforming that but because he's done it for such a consistent period of time but, but the, mistake the common the thesis is like he's just a really good finisher is the other way around where they're like he's really underperforming his XG and it's because he's shit yes that's, right. that's the reason he's consistently underperforming I, I think I think actually the the worse the the poorer way that people are interpreting it or just looking at it is saying like well the Pjanic thing that I just said well he scored five goals from an XG of like 2.3 or whatever um, and then people just hold because they've bought because he's scored mm. if that makes sense but even though the data kind of shows that he probably won't score that frequently in the future that's the bit kind of like stumps me um, I think a lot of people have and this is a really bad when we talk about Adama Troy quite a lot this this, this uh, podcast but in before we started I kind of looked at his, his stats and they're quite similar to last season in terms of the underlyings but it's a small sample size. So for me, I wouldn't be able to confidently say right. like, ah, oh, off the back of like, because realistically he's only started properly asserting himself on the team in the last 10 or so games. And we're about 24 ways into the games into the season. I think he didn't start as much uh, in the beginning of the season as he is in the last, in the, in the second half so far. Um, I wouldn't be able to confidently say he's going to slow down because the sample size for me is yeah. too small. Whereas Jamie Vardy, like, it's a lot easier for someone to go, well, if he's overperformed it even more than he usually does, he's either, one, gotten even better at finishing, which is pretty unlikely at the age of 33 or whatever he is, or just like quite unlikely probability-wise in general, or he's just getting lucky. Yeah. So it would be easier when there's more data. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's basically why it's easier to assess older players, because yeah, totally. you've you got... have lots of history. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, Bobby Axelrod. Uh, the last psych question we've got. Uh, you two do so much good work to break down and explore the very important psych side of FI. However, I fear the mainstream football index want to attract won't understand the psychological aspects or worse, get scared or impatient and leave. What can FI do to bridge the knowledge gaps? I mean, I don't know if it's really FI's... I think FI are there to provide the market. Yeah. And I think it's for people within the FI community... Like your pod index gain is the kind of secondary places that could provide are providing that content to fill that gap. I think the academy on the FI site isn't great. Yeah, I think that's a polite way of kind of saying it. Um, but yeah, I think generally speaking, 
Um, I think a lot of people have a decent grasp of, of the psychology and understand buyer's remorse because like, we all have experienced mm. it at times and FOMO. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think there's so many other things that FI need to do first. Uh, <laughs> but I think it would be cool in the future if they did more. Here's how these people, there are four different ways some people, four different traders value players. Or like, here's some of the psych stuff but yeah, I think they yeah. should put more data I still think they should put more data on their site it, it blew my mind when I first joined that I literally couldn't find <laughs> any, any data historical data about yeah, yeah. And that, that, that they could fix I mean yeah. I agree they've got other things to do too but um, I don't think it's their job to be doing this kind of podcast but I do think it's their job to provide considerably more information for new traders to be using to make decisions the thing, the thing about, about the mainstream, mainstream quote unquote notion I kind of have started to dislike that because the customer segmentation breakdown that FI could potentially go after, you've got the kind of people that work in the city who might like be FX traders or whatever. You've got professional gamblers. And then I think you've got like matched betters and then you've got like mainstream betters and then people who like stock trading. There are so many different segments of their potential like Mm. quote unquote mainstream customer base that they could go after. For me, like, professional gambler who i still thoroughly think is the first whale hunting spot for them Mm -hmm. i think that they would be pretty quick to grasp the psychological side of fi because if they're a professional gambler then they would have to have some sort of edge so i i don't know it's it's hard for me to say i think when people talk about that what they mean is your casual you know uh, acrobata who who looks at this and thinks i'll have a go at that instead Um, and hasn't, you know, isn't a professional, hasn't traded, you know, it's not something they, they know a lot about. Um, you know, they, they're unlikely to come in with a lot of money. Sure. But if they put in a bit and they lose it and they don't really understand what's going on, they might leave quite quickly. And I think that's probably what the question's going to Yeah. And I think, um, I think we'll just have a more kind of granular ecosystem that is filled with far more content and information the further and further this journey yeah, everyone goes which is on. what you always get with but I mean some of the stuff that's online at Twitter like the breakdown of why this player won a PB uh, div or like um, yeah I find some of the content on Twitter is brilliant yeah. uh, and the community is kind of self-generating but that the guy analysis. doing that's got like what 1,000 followers and there's yeah, 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 yeah. great great account definitely should follow it but um, but then there's um, but there's what like hundreds of thousands of yeah, traders yeah. So FI could be doing more to yeah. make that kind of. We also have to remember that a lot of people just don't care. Yeah, like so do, do you know what I mean? Like a lot yeah, of people kind of thing I care about. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah I know, but like, yeah, like we're, we're talking about the mainstream. Yeah, the mainstream isn't necessarily people that care that much about the data. They don't necessarily care about how much money they're making or losing. Mm. It, like, it, it, there's a lot of nuances there. No, you're right. Like my mate who just joined up, he's not going to be a big account. He just wants to get involved in FI. His first like few like his first big trade for him, relatively speaking, it was only like I think it was about fifty pounds uh, for him. But he's a big fantasy football guy. He bought Mane because he likes Mane, mm. uh, and like he doesn't care mm. about these nuances. But I think I imagine if I want lots of him, they want that yes. fantasy football market. Well, so do we? Yeah, of course. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so it's, yeah, yeah, it's just so funny about the stuff that like I love that like breakdown stuff, but like um, a lot of people don't, or like it's just not what. Yeah, though I, my, the first player I ever bought was Giroud, so I can hardly judge. <laughs> I think mine was Joel Campbell. Dwight, Dwight McNeil. That's, that's, that's much better. That's better than both of us. I think mine was the second one was Hector Bellerin. So. 
Um, I didn't learn after Joel Campbell. Um, Sam Richards. This was actually probably the most liked question, so probably a big one to get into it. It's about media. Since the media change, I always like this. He keeps throwing out this stat to me. Yaya Torre has won more media than Bappe, Sancho, Neymar combined. This is not sustainable for the product to flourish. When do you think the MB overhaul will be announced? Torre 3P, Neymar, Sancho, and Bappe, one pence each. That doesn't really sound right, does it? However much of the void that we talked about, Yaya Torre should not be winning more media than those three players. Yeah, I mean, MB is, is definitely in need of an overhaul. I think most people, I think most people would agree with that and, and probably if I know it and I, and I hope, our, I don't know when they're going to announce it, but I hope it's relatively soon that they announce an overhaul. You've got, you've got a, a, a couple of different issues. The first is that the actual way they do it doesn't work properly. So the words, the sentiment analysis that they're using to judge the points value of the words in the articles doesn't relate to football, um, which means hat-trick doesn't get any mm. additional points. Right. Um, or any other player of the month, any other football terminology gets no additional points. Yeah. So someone scores an amazing hat-trick, they get fewer points than you know Pogba getting a haircut or whatever that has words in it that... Um, that, that uh, an amazing new haircut. An amazing new haircut gets loads of points. Amazing. They also <laughs> negative words get you extra points, which yeah. I just find utterly weird. Um, so they should genuinely be articles that get you zero points. X had a crap game gets you more points than X scores a hat trick. Yeah, like, yeah, and that's just, that's nonsense. It's just nonsense. Yeah, right? yeah, of course. So so there's a problem with the sentiment analysis that which they which is I've been complaining about. It was the first question I ever asked Adam Cole on Twitter. It's bugged me since I joined. Um, you've then got a problem with the source, the RSS feed. So you've got huge numbers of articles from a small number of sources. Mm, just um, because they seem to publish to the RSS because, feed. Like, because it's the, it's the Express and Star, and, and it's because of their business model is SEO, um, yeah. search engine optimization yeah. bashing. So they're just trying to get hits on any garbage that yeah. people are searching for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... So you're kind of that that is distorting the the source input, which they need to, which they can also fix relatively easily. Then they've allowed the squad in, which is um, massively diluted. So you, you, people like Yaya Torre can win, but they wouldn't have <laughs> last year. Why, how did he even win? Um, and then on top of I it, it was something stupid, like he had a birthday. Uh, like, no, was it, it was something else. It I was something about him. Was it was it um, when Meza Erzul came out about all the um, the. What, what was happening to uh, certain Muslim segments in China, in China and Yaya Torre came out and said I'm not sure he was right about to right. do that or was it something I don't know anyway it, it, it was it, nonsense it anyway. proves the point that, yeah. that, that you've diluted the, the thing and then on top of that you haven't had some of the big media stories which is the kind of void you've had earlier so yeah. the kind of combination of all that is, has been uh, negative for the platform so they need to overhaul the, the model and the way it works um, if they are going to leave it open to the squad and I would because I think there's a logic to doing that in terms of simplicity for the platform they need to just either up the dividend or, or up the number of places they just need to make it three places a day and five on days when there's no matches or something like that because they're make they're they're giving out a lot less in mb than they were last season what do you think is the percentage likelihood of fi fixing all those things in one step with the announcement that they probably will make soon uh, probably not very high. Because <laughs> um, I, I agree, because there, I, I've said it on the few pods that I, one of the reasons, even though I think Global MB should happen, and if, I think it should happen yeah. soon, I really don't get, there's just too many steps to do. It's like if at the beginning, FI just completely flipped the PB uh, table on its head after the first kind of, because 
they they announced PB and then they iterated the matrix and then they made another change to the matrix now. With MB, they have to fix the 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 way the actual points are attributed. They have to fix how many um, kind of media sources get how many points, etc. I, I don't know what they would do with that. They have to fix the first same second name thing. Yeah, they, and then and then it's adding foreign outlets that you have to just maybe translate. Yeah. It's. It seems like a massive overhaul. My, my worry is what they'll do is a quick fix of upping the dividend or upping the number of places or something like that, and they won't fix the underlying problems. With but the but like I look today, you know, Haaland scored easier. two goals yesterday. He got 80 points mm. today. He's the biggest talking point in football right now. Yeah. I don't think anyone could debate that. Mm. Like, that's, that's going to be lipstick on a pick. Like, just on a very basic level, like, players should be getting registered for stories about them. Like yeah. they're still like, in, like on, yeah, a, on a really base like like let's like um, I wonder how it's going to work if they plan to expand to like so everyone's talking about if they expand to Germany but like if then, you like, expand on the current way it's just going to breed more problems it's yeah, like yeah, if you, you build a house on a under, shit foundation you can't, you can't go to global until they've fixed all these other problems you just can't and they do, it sounds like they do want to go yeah so so it, it really I, I think it probably is a priority for them I kind of yeah. get the impression it is. I hope they say something pretty soon about it, and I hope they do. The That's what I'm kind of hoping that he said. At least he gives us a sort of sense of when it might happen on Tuesday. Um, I just, I just, I just think it's a it's a big flip for them. That the amount of work that goes into creating a new sentiment scoring analysis, modelling all of that. Well, this is kind of what I, I kind of just want you to be in charge. If I'm honest, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I can just like sleep easy at night. I will, I will help them with the sentiment analysis. I just, it is just silly. Yeah, I mean, it, I agree. I just think the likelihood of it all happening. No, in I, I think that's probably right. But I would, I'd really like them to fix some of the underlying stuff and not do a quick fix with yeah. a, yeah. you know, a nice dividend increase or something. With that sentiment analysis, so mm. I found it interesting how they surveyed the community for matrix change yeah. to the PB before they did that in the summer but yeah haven't got any vibe of that being the case I don't think most people know about the sentiment analysis no. it's deeply buried on their website there it's is, also difficult to understand there, it is there but it's I mean like I spent hours searching for it when I first joined and I, then I found the underlying sentiment and I went all the way back to the original source they were using and went through the list of words but to do that I, I, I don't think like 0.1% of traders have done that so Probably most people don't even realise this is why they're, you know, Harland or Mane or whoever aren't getting the media they should get. Well, a lot of people don't care what's going on, they just want it fixed. Right. Yeah. So, well, no, like, not, and it's not their job, yeah, right? Exactly. Like, it absolutely exactly. isn't people's job to go and search for that stuff. They should fix it. You want it to do it. I, I, I want it to do it, but it's not that. It, yeah, it's kind of like um, a lot of people don't care what's, what's under the hood of a car, they just yeah, want it to go from A to B. I like, don't care about that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's. it's um, I just I just can't see it being like a... For me, if I had to put my money where my mouth is or like guns ahead, I'd say that they... Uh, I really hope that they just do the sentiment thing first. And, and the names. The names, yeah, and the names. For me, that would be such a big success, even yeah, if that, it didn't that, go that, global. Win, yeah. I would take that win right now. And then at the end of it that kind of sense, statement, yeah. they say, hey, also, just so you know this is on our radar... We want to add build. We want to add Lekeep. But these are the things that are stopping us doing it right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we want to add more outlets in the future. That Happy would be days. the biggest win ever. Happy days. Yeah, 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 because yeah, then yeah. at least people buying you know, Mbappe and Haaland right now, which a lot of the people I think that are, 
buying Mbappe right now thinking, well, it's going to happen eventually. Even if I hold him for three years, eventually that global media thing is going to come in and he's going to be one of the biggest stars at that point. Mm. Neymar, like Messi and Ronaldo would have retired. Big void. Neymar would have been going into his 30s, maybe moved from PSG. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, sure bet. I see, the, I see the logic. I really do. And FI need to kind of actually roll with that logic well, I mean, to some extent. They can't go global until they do that. Like, no. The two things are completely linked. Yeah. But, as I, I... but they, they could do though. They couldn't really. I mean, they, of course, they could open a market in Germany. They can, open, you know, if they get the legal permissions, blah blah blah. As oh, they have oh done I thought. In did you mean global in terms of the media? No, no, no. Directly. What I'm saying is oh, they right. can open in other countries, sure. but it won't work in those other countries yeah. unless their papers are being reflected. Yeah. Yes. Like, so the two things are completely connected. But as I agree with you, they've got to. They do take it in stages and fix some of the basics first. It, it's interesting to see how Sam uh, phrases though. Mm. This is not sustainable for the product, and I think yeah, I think it's yeah, it's right. It's good, they've right. got to fix it, and they've got to fix it next. Well, we we touched on the future there, and the next segment is expansion in the future. Uh, Sav two thousand uh, last section. I I think listeners will be happy to know. Um, <laughs> as we approach a probable expansion into new territories, he says Germany in brackets. Uh, <laughs> do you see the most vocal on Twitter? <laughs> not Twitter. Is that, is that deliberate? That's not a typo, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. No. Just, just to add, you know, a bit of context and irony in there. And the forum losing their influence. And how do you see them reacting to this change if there is one? Why don't we see you on the forum and where you are able to post more content as you're not restricted to characters? Was that was that aimed at me? It might be aimed at all of it. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not on the forum either. So yeah, I, I thought it was aimed at us. Um, why aren't you on the forum? I'm already doing Twitter and Slack. I mean, Jesus, yeah. there's only so much time in the day, right? Um, yeah, I've never, I've never really looked at it, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, I, I know it's there, but I've never really looked at yeah, it. Yeah, no, I did when I started. Um, but I don't know, I just found the analysis that other people were doing on Twitter really interesting, and that was where I could engage with them. Um, I think it just depends what you're more comfortable with. There are going to be people that... Um, uh, solely forum users, yeah. solely SAC users, solely Twitter users. Like, and the more this thing expands, the more there are going to be on all those platforms. So, I, w- I would love a good experiment of just tracking the average hundred of Facebook, Twitter, mm. Slack, or forum. Like, what do you use the most? And over a year, who does <laughs> the best? I, I thought that would just be fascinating. Yeah. yeah. So, so global global Fig expansion. Two hundred. Figfest two hundred in Berlin, apparently. Um, Salmon's nice lederhosen. <laughs> <laughs> no, but seriously, like uh, it seems not that that's imminent, but it seems that that's the most likely thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, impending regulations. Do you do you find it strange that FI haven't said anything about that? Uh, I can understand because they probably don't know whether they can do it mm. yet. So I can understand why they're not trying to raise. They don't want to raise expectations or hope too much until they figure out how they're doing it. They probably also don't know quite how they're going to do it. Like even if you get permission to open in Germany and you can and you can get bets there and everything. Like, it's very, this is a very UK-centric product at the moment. Yeah. To turn it into yeah, yeah. one that works for two or more countries, it's going to require a lot of careful thought and marketing. Um, so I'm not, I'm certainly not against it. I think ultimately they have to do that to keep growing the product. But, um, but there's a lot of questions. I mean, we've talked a lot about MB, that's one of them. But, um, but um, you know, the community is very UK-based at the moment. How'd you grow a German one organically? Adam, FI, uh, or was that Dara Hines on my podcast, uh, who lives in Ireland, he says, hardly sees it anywhere. Right. Doesn't, doesn't know anyone else in Ireland that uses it. Well, like, that's what I mean, they can open it there. Yeah. But no one's going to use it unless yeah. you make it a product that's friendly to that market. Why 
are FI traders very excited about this then? If we've seen that Ireland, Sweden, New Zealand, Canada haven't really, really left them Because off. I think they're thinking at some point they're going to actually globalise the product, yeah. which is then what really opens up those markets, sure. not the legal things. Mm. Um, and that brings with it the potential for obviously lots of people in those countries pouring into the market, growing it. Um, and I would love to see that happen, but as I say, it's, it's a big jump for the products and I imagine they're thinking quite deeply about how it would have to happen. I assume some people are quite happy about it because it's a chance to pump uh, and, push, and, and push a myth of like, now you should buy the German players yeah, that I have a hold into. Um, but yeah, I think uh, the, the thought of the product growing is exciting for all existing users in general. Um, it's certainly not impacting on my trading at the moment um, and I wouldn't be buying off it, but a bit well excited if it happened. Yeah. yeah, let's see where FigFest 200 takes place. Okay. Uh, F.I. Gardner, who uh, always posts those wonderful pictures. I don't know if you saw the, the fig cast hedge. I couldn't believe it. I thought it was photoshopped. I generally love his content so much because it just reminds me not to take it all too seriously yeah. because everyone's posting about like their tips and he's just like, here's a lovely Acer. Here's a hedge. I think it's really funny. Uh, he's a great guest, uh, hoping this is three hours long. And it will be. Apparently, yeah. <laughs> who's, uh, who's listening still on? Who is still time? listening? If you're still listening, then fair play to you. Yeah. Uh, he got his wish. Um, that's a long garden to, to fix. <laughs> what do both guests see as the next realistic big milestone for Football Index? Uh, I would just love to see it more in day-to-day sort of conversation like the way that everyone even like in the BBC are reporting about you get three points for an assist on fantasy football as part of their like match day commentary and like you got players and I know you wouldn't get this is it slightly more sensitive though because it's gambling gambling, obviously and like but I I just think it'd be nice to be at the football and someone score and to hear someone go I've got shares in him Mm. Uh, just but I think it's a long way off but for me that is when it's really become mainstream where it's just, it's not, you don't have to explain what this thing is. It's just known and part of like what some people do. Um, I don't know if that's the next milestone, but that, for me, that would be, be a really big one, I think, for me. Yeah, I mean, I think the next really important one for me is, that is, is, is order books and, and the NASDAQ integration. And I'd like to hear more about when that's going to happen. Um, that, that, for me, is the moment where this product can take off. But you look very sceptical. I think order books is probably the next biggest milestone. Mm. I think um, for sentiment, Germany and expansion is great. But order books in terms of um, the types of users you can attract. That, that's what I mean. Like, it's just the liquidity that they can bring into the platform, I just think, is, is will, change the, will, will change the product, will allow it to grow much faster. So that, like, that for me is... And, and, and of course, it could not work. And it might make, you know, people might not like it. And it could, it's a really big moment. For the How product. do you think they'll implement it? I would love to know. I, I, don't, I think they'll start quite slow. I suspect they'll start testing it on a few, on, a, on, a, on IPOs or something like that. Do you think there's quietly increasing the spread on players as part of the preparation for... Are they, you, Well, they, I, I think someone has been tracking them. So I think that average is now 10%. Which I don't think it's quite that high. But I, think so, been, I think someone was tracking and put the data has online. Been, it has been increasing yeah. slowly. On the, on, the on the quiet, on the, yeah. Um, I, think it, I think it stopped increasing quite so much recently, yeah. but it has been increasing and they've, sort of, I think they've just slightly gone in, in the other direction. I, I'll, I'll see if I can find the data online. Someone posted it, but like, 
I just wondered if that was a prep of like, don't expect us to be able to cash out your bet. They've certainly got quicker at responding. Yeah, totally just. Um, And which is, I I don't think it's a bad thing. Like it's really important that they, again, you have those corrections and controls in the market. Like uh, Messi was dropping earlier today and they whacked a 60p spread. And like some people complain about when they change the spread, but like, I don't think FI should be buying bets that they think aren't good value. Like I never have really a problem with them increasing the spreads. And if people feel they're being tricked into the bet, like now I think with order books, they can just turn it off. They don't have to offer a right. That's, so that's why I think it's and people's going to have to put the people. But, but that, put do you not think there will always be just a very low? I think they will offer initially. I think, I think they'll they'll, they'll offer what they think true value is. That will be interesting to see, won't it? How yeah. they. Uh... But I don't think they will straight away. I no. think they'll 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 be staged. I think they'll try on IPOs. They'll keep an IS on for a bit. I don't think they'll jump straight all in because that would be a big risk. Um, but I do think it's. How they do that and getting that right for me as the next big master, definitely. Mm. Do you think it... Uh, I've, I've kind of speculated whether or not it'll be a separate platform. And then you still have people who just see the, the base buy and sell. Possibly. See, I have no idea. Like, you guys would be probably better place. I don't know. Yeah, let's, let's see how it goes. Um, Daily has a question. What is the biggest barrier to Football Index becoming the biggest football betting company in the UK and then global domination? That's a good point, though. Like we haven't talked about that when we talked about Germany. There's a lot to expand in yeah. in the UK first. Mm. I imagine just complexity. Like it's really obvious. Like I can bet on Tottenham to win, or I can bet on Aubameyang to score first, and I know exactly what that means. It's that's harder for I think, and like I don't think they'll ever be able to get as clean. Yeah, as totally. That. Complexity is is absolutely the barrier. Yeah. Um, and that's not it's not going to get any less complex it's not it? going to get less complex and that will always getting people over that hump will always be the thing that's going to be that's going to slow them down but once you're over the hump yeah. then you've got then you've got a really engaged audience but that naturally just means that they have quite a lot of attrition which i'm sure they do i, I reckon they've probably yeah, got yeah they've they've probably got like a, a smaller retention than well, we know there's been like four, five hundred and forty thousand signups, yeah. and there's definitely not that many yeah. people trading. But, but that's also why I didn't mind the adverts that lots of people didn't like. They said they didn't explain everything well enough in the advert, and I was like, no, but that's not the point of the advert. The advert is to get you over the hump of like, yeah, to like, this is a platform. But it really won't be for, like if you just want to do a nice, simple weekly bet. This really isn't for you because it's to make money. You just have to understand multiple layers of complexity. So, and you have to enjoy doing that and want to do that. Yeah, it's not going to be for everyone. But do you do you think that then it won't be the biggest betting company in the UK ever? Uh, I don't think it'll be the biggest, but I think it can be a hell of a lot yeah. bigger than it is. It doesn't need to be the biggest for it to be, be like brilliant. Mm. Like this, it, I, I have always said that it can be a billion pound market, mm. and I absolutely still think that. Um, when you think there's twenty billion pounds in UK sports gambling. Know far more in the states, or you know, took the whole of Europe. There's there's loads and loads of room for expansion, whilst it's still being quite a niche product for people who really want something that's more engaging and thoughtful than weekly bet. Mm. Yeah, I, I think that in in the UK, for them to become the biggest company and and there, it'd be tough. There would have to be that kind of quadrant that I talked about. There'd have to be a big big undercutting of profits for those bookies so much so that they like turn around and say wow like 
we're going to have to do something We're going to switch to a similar model. Or, 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 or maybe not even we're going to, I don't know, just offer better odds or offer higher cash out values, something that keeps yeah. people on it. Um, maybe it makes their profit margin smaller, but it means that they still stay ahead by a significant amount. Do you know what I mean? Because even at Betfair Exchange, you've got 50-50, it's a no-sum, uh, zero-sum game, but then there's commissions. Mm. The margin that Bet365 make compared to Betfair Exchange is still way bigger, customer mm. on customer. Obviously, the, there's like a kind of a volume game there. If you get enough people on the platform, Betfair Exchange, eventually you'd make more money than Bet365, but... That's another conversation. I, I mean, this is a whole other conversation, but I've, I'm, as someone who doesn't do traditional gambling very much, I've never understood why everyone doesn't bet on Betfair Exchange. Why would you use any other exchange or any other form of betting? Even look at Betfair advertising as well. It's just like marketing, I guess. I, I, yeah, I mean, I've only ever used Betfair Exchange because yeah. it seems like obviously the thing better than doing something with much worse margins. Be- because really it's harder to use. Okay. People don't understand what laying is. Do you think also there's a bit of like just habit? So like, if you if you if you usually gamble with one place, like that's just where you bet then, as opposed to it like like. What what uh, Smarkets have done is they've created a sports book, but use the odds from their uh, exchange. Mm. So you basically have that functionality of bet on yeah. this, yeah. but they're using the odds and the money and the liquidity from the exchange yeah. underlying, which is something that FI could do I suppose but that is interesting that is the type of thing that I'm talking about where like that's a direct undercut for the bookies because the value going there is is probably far higher um, but yeah global domination I mean it would have to look a lot different to what it is now and I mean his, his it doesn't need to do that yeah. it just needs no to, it like, doesn't it can, it's got so much room for growth and interest without whilst still being a pretty small proportion of global yeah, exactly. betting world. exactly last question no. Yeah. <laughs> Dazzler FI returns. Uh, the two main target segments for FI are FPL players, which you've mentioned earlier, Sigmund, casual gambers, and so-called whales. How do you think the market differs depending on which segment they have most success with? As someone who's definitely more of an FPL background than a whale, uh, I imagine, I'm just guessing, but like, I can't see how big investors really care about IPDs. Uh, and they don't care about game to game as much would be my guess well that's why I thought the pivot or the, the, the statement about the long term dividends was quite quite a yeah. that was a flag in the ground like yeah, this is what we yeah this is what we we're going to be doing mm. that to me indicated that they want to get wanted to get more big traders on the platform well I, I guess it's just all the like and if not bigger but as well just like long term yeah uh, stable yeah like you, you know you want to bet for the year as opposed mm. to just on like if I want to bet on the IPD I'll just bet on the first goal scorer yeah. or like, like I bet on that market mm. traditionally um, whereas I guess FPL is like I take a four point hit to get a better score this week that's quite that mm. would lead to over trading the, the thing is buy, about FPL I think people that come over what they'll really like is the the stickiness of it to some yeah, extent because yeah, with FPL, like for me, I forgot to do my two my team the last two weeks. I had Jamie Vardy captain both times. Missed penalty, did his hamstring in the next game. For a lot of FPL players, 
I just I just wanted to rage quit after that because I've I've been doing quite well. I'm like I'm I'm in like the top hundred thousand in the world, so I've been doing quite well. So that really pissed me off, and I literally just went, I can't be bothered to do the rest of the season. And I've done like I know mates like you, you, we all have it right. We start FPL season with all our friends, and at the end, there's only three of us that still do it. With FI, there is that kind of more long term sticky nature, which I think a lot of FPL users will be like, ah, oh, didn't win this week, go again next week, or didn't do much trading this week, but this weekend I can do loads. Yeah. With FPL, it's kind of like, if you miss two or three weeks, you're not like, right, let's get back into it. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, just yeah. not like that. So it's like, I think there's a big opportunity there. It hasn't really translated yet. Yeah, I'd agree with all that. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I think the balance at the moment is quite nice, actually. I think mm. you can come in as a whale, invest in 20 players, walk away for a year and you'll make money. You can also do it as a kind of, you know, week to week mm. um, and make money that way too um, it will swing one way or the other at some point and that will be quite interesting to see I think there's a third type of player which is me because um, I ha- this is the first year I've done FPL in like 20 years cause I, I, because I was doing FI the other way around and I'm certainly not a whale um, which is the kind of football manager uh, mm. game player like yeah. I, for me that was the most attractive thing I was thought I'm not I don't play football manager anymore because it's too addictive and I have a job and kids and so on but this is a real world version of this so where I can make actual money and it's kind of like the same a lot of the same things I enjoy about it just knowing a lot of data about a lot of players um, FIFA ultimate team to some extent right. as well. I think there's a lot I think there's a lot coming in from that kind of route and um and I really, and I said this on the live pod we did, but I just want them to put so many more players onto the market because I think that makes it so much more interesting for that kind of trader who really wants to really wants to use football knowledge to gain an edge. And I understand why they're not doing it, partly because of the system at the moment and partly because of the liability risk to them. I get it. And I guess the liquidity of the market. And the liquidity. There's, there's a whole bunch of reasons why they're not doing it, but I'd love to think that that was part of their long-term plan. What, what could get them into that position to be able to do that? Well, I think you could do it. Like, Let's say they t- sorted the tech out and they could do that side of it. You could, you could put like a thousand, say we're going to put a thousand, two thousand players onto the market over the next two months. And, double and say at the same time, and we're going to put up dividends, dividends to compensate. That's how you'd have to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think they would make a lot more money doing that. Because yeah. even though they'd pay out more dividends, like a load of cash would come on oh, to those yeah. 2,000 players coming onto the market. Um, Are there 2,000 players? That we there's, well, how many players are in the football manager database? It's like 30,000, 40,000 sure. more now. It's like, yeah. God, so you're talking like proper large numbers of I'm talking of about like random players like... Imagine buying Vardy when he was like at Fleetwood or wherever he was. Like, like imagine being able to fit like that kind of challenge. I just think we'd just that open up vistas for this product. Um, I, I totally get why it's tricky and there's a whole bunch of questions you'd have to answer and you'd have to do it really carefully. But, but, but like, I just think it would, I, it would add loads of fun for people like me. Um, and I think it would, there are a lot of people doing Football Manager, um, FIFA Ultimate and all of that kind of thing who, who would be attracted by that. So. Mm. Any more? No, I, I think the uh, the football manager thing is actually a great comparison because there's certainly a whole generation of people who grew up addicted to it and always uh, wanted to do it and probably like like myself weren't good enough to really play football to a high level. So that's kind of like how <laughs> I, I like, certainly engaged. would fit in that. Yeah, so that's kind of how I engaged in it. Yeah, and I think that's a great shout. Yeah, I mean, I kind of got into the football manager scene quite late. I think the first one that I had was fourteen. 
99, 2000. <laughs> oh, yeah, one. definitely. That yeah. Was the best ones. I, a lot of it was like quite not unintuitive, but like on one of my saves with Arsenal, I think Danny Welbeck scored about 80 goals. <laughs> and like he was in the Ballon d'Or reckoning. So at that point, I was like, this is so fun, but it's really unrealistic. Yeah. Like the chances of Danny Welbeck scoring 75 goals. Is like, I didn't play it at all anymore, but like I, had, I saw a screenshot the other day of it and I was like, I wouldn't know what to do with it. Like the level of complexity now compared to what it was back in that, like our day, I imagine. Oh my God, like literally. It's so fun, but like, I mean, I remember my first year of uni, like, or like, uh, it was actually not in my first year of uni, like at, when I was at uni, it was more the breaks. Like when, we'd, when I'd go home, it was like... I genuinely can't allow myself to do it yeah, because yeah. I wouldn't do anything else. I, when I was a teenager, I had a month when I was in hospital for, for a whole month and I did nothing absolutely nothing I woke up in the morning played it all day went to sleep for a month and but I like my brain was addled by the end of it I like I couldn't think straight I, I once bought the whole Ukrainian team for Coventry City uh, and had like Viktor Leonenko was like you know, like, <laughs> like just banging goals in for Coventry yeah for me it was, it was yeah it's, it's always good fun isn't it for, I, actually, I actually was quite good at FIFA Ultimate Team trading cards one of my friends said to me the other day like this is probably how this like fig thing started for you, like back in the day. Like you were just training yourself when yeah. you were like thirteen. Exactly. I do think <laughs> a lot of similar kind of mental skills. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, it was it was I think FIFA twelve or no FIFA nine, FIFA ten, which I was like really I had into. FIFA ninety four. <laughs> so FIFA ninety five was my first. I had at FIFA ninety. So that's usually my benchmark of how old people are. Was like your first FIFA. I've never heard of a FIFA ninety four. I, I thought I was winning with. Yeah. Five. Sensible soccer, I mean, they were the days. A different era. Uh, any other business, any other things we want to discuss? Uh, I, okay, one, I've got one. For the one percent that are still listening. Yeah, okay, two, probably really quick. Uh, one, I think we should talk more in general on FI about how it's a gambling platform and I worry that some people are gambling more than they can afford to lose and I think we should, I don't know what the mechanism is but I think it's always worth flagging. I know you always say at the end. Mm, I've started stops, to, stops, yeah. But like, I, I, I think uh, the more I've seen people call it like investing in something, yeah. or blah blah blah. And we're not traders; we're gamblers. Like, let's call it. I think what yeah. it is. Uh, I mean, I, I kind of the, the investing and, and gambling thing for me. Like, everything in the world is a gamble to some sure, extent. Yeah. If you're an insurance provider, yeah. like, yeah. there's a lot of interchangeable um, terminology. But for me, when people say oh, I invest in football players, like. You, you don't yes that, that exactly, is like, exactly. you this, is, this is it like <laughs> it's not an investment this is a, a long term bet this yes. is like you know you can you can invest in companies and the, the kind you of you own a portion of the company yeah. you do not own a portion of yeah. Neymar yes. yeah interestingly though we were talking earlier about yeah. like a few products coming out where you can uh, earn or own a percentage of a, a player's or a celebrity's future earnings mm. which are I think FI being in this kind of world of itself, in 10 years, we might look at it and be like, wow, this was like a really breakthrough thing where loads of other things have, yeah, have come out and, yeah. and created products that are not identical to it, but have, have kind of led on from it. Yeah. But yeah. So, and, and um, one thing I did see, there was um, just a go on the gambling thing. Uh, one of the guys on, on Slack and Twitter was, uh, he wrote an article for Index Gain about how much time he was spending on match betting before he went on to Stu, uh, right? Uh, and when I was speaking to him, I think it's a really interesting point because everyone always talks about addicts and get, having a gambling problem when they're losing. Mm. Uh, but because there's so much growth in the platform, everyone's winning. So no one's talking about if they're addicted Such or not. And I think there is, a, there is a serious cost of FI 
and I'm guilty of it as much as anyone in terms of time and other stuff you could be doing. And if it is being, you're not losing your money, but if you are losing out on family time, on doing things that make you happy and you're only doing FI, even if you're winning, it's still a problem. And I just want anyone who's out there, like That's talk to someone. Te- like if you, if, if, you, if you have a partner and you don't tell them how much you've got on FI, or you're lying about the amount you've got on FI, or if you're using not great sources for that FI money, such as like loans, even if you're winning, it's still a problem and it isn't a gambling site. And I think it would just be prudent in the psychology pod to kind of just flag that. And we have spent three hours on a Saturday night <laughs> sitting around my kitchen table talking about And it's been more of the best Saturday nights I've had in a while, which is weird. Um, my other point of business, which is... I'm less, not drunk. It's really uh, yeah. stupid. Uh, just to kind of contrast with the gambling thing, uh, my wife who thinks, what, thinks FI is weird and geeky anyway, when I tell her, and I've kind of mentioned it to you on Slack, when I tell about the conversations I have with people on social media, she thinks it's weird that like these people have funny names and stuff. And she thinks it's really funny. She always asks like, what did the fig say? And I was like, it's not the fig, it's fig, right? She's finding it funny, but she didn't then insist that I actually have a gift for my wife. She baked you. Oh, wow. Fig tarts. Oh my <laughs> word. So there you go. That this is amazing. Yeah, so that's, uh, it's just so nice from Mrs. Yeah, she literally said it's figgies from Siggy's. Should I give it well, like a... Yeah, then this makes terrible podcast-like content. You can't see <laughs> them, but they look very nice. Really. So, I've never had a fig tart ever. So there you go. Very Sam, good. would you like a... I'll, I'll have a fig yeah, tart There's some well. cheese in there as well, just in case wow. it was like... Yeah, so there you go. Mm. Well, I'd say Mrs. Friedman has allowed us to use the house. Much appreciated share, as well, but, yeah. But uh, mm. has a strong dislike of all things ever. <laughs> <laughs> oh, really nice. So there you go. And she's actually said she was going to listen to the pod to hear what your reaction was to it but now she has to listen for three hours yeah. <laughs> give her the exact start, I should have done that at the give start, her the time stamp I, like yeah. 2.47ish when we started eating thick tarts I mean no one's listening by now anyway, no. so it doesn't really matter it's a very good thick tart it was very good really oh good yeah. I'll give it a solid like 8 or 9 out of 10 you can even take the train with you you can oh, them for you that's so nice I thank you very much Miss yeah. uh, Mrs. Sigmund yeah. um no other thoughts? <laughs> I, mean, I, peeped on that I have nothing to offer you in terms of gifts. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's fair enough. I mean, I, that was honestly such a surprise. I thought you were going to pull out like a response from your wife or, <laughs> on your phone or something. Not in a million not years, big tarts. Yeah. Amazing. Um, cool. <laughs> if you guys are commuting and your commute is about two hours, 45 minutes. <laughs> if you're commuting I, to Edinburgh from yeah, London. <laughs> if you are walking to work. <laughs> If you were walking to work or you were in horrendous traffic, interestingly, actually, complete... I mean, what's another five minutes? What's another another two minutes? I was recording a podcast at work um, and uh, one of the guests was running so late and it's from a company who were always super engaged with us. They always want to do media. As soon as I email this guy, even though he's in a very... He's like in a senior exec role, he will respond straight away and be like, yes, I'll do it. Or like, no, but here's another person that can. Um loves us and we we really like them he's late to the recording like 20 minutes and um the 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 podcast is about investment and there's quite like a prominent institutional uh representative and another quite like prominent like investment company or like retail investment company represented on the on the panel kind of look at them and i'm like yeah they, they these guys are usually really good they're never late um this guy we're about to start i was like look we're gonna have to start without him it won't be as good but we're gonna have to start without him Start the show. We're about to start. So we're about to click record. Get the message. I'm here. Comes up and this guy walks in and he's like full pumped of adrenaline, like like sweating. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, are you okay? He's like, look, let's just let's just start. I'm like 25 minutes late. I'll tell you what happened after. 
And I, I didn't even want to give him a coffee because he was like so pumped. <laughs> Finish it. And he literally goes, uh, yeah, I mean, um, I was on a train and it got stuck for 25 minutes. And I thought that like something really bad was happening because the lights went off. Like people who were claustrophobic, like sat on the ground and had to be talked to and stuff like that. Crazy. So if that's happening to you right now, <laughs> you've got something to listen. You've got something to listen to. It's okay, and I hope your train starts moving. But seriously, if you've stuck through it the whole time, amazing. Thank you so much. Leave us a review, uh, please, on iTunes. Be sure to next time. <laughs> yeah, be sure next time, and the one star one. Piss off. Um, if you're not commuting, do whatever you're doing. Have a, have a great day. Whatever you're doing for three hours, I'm sure Gardner will be happy. If you're running, you're a marathon. You're running a marathon. Yeah. In a good time. You'd be delighted. Then you'd be delighted in doing this, yeah. Uh, sorry if we didn't like to answer all your questions. There were so many. I wonder if we do like some sort of Twitter like answer. No questions. one needs to hear more from us, <laughs> like, honestly. <laughs> Last but not least, uh, this has been lighthearted fun, but as Sigmund well mentioned, Football Index is a gambling platform. Only bet for what you can afford to lose and stop when the fun stops. And that is it. Wow. <laughs> I'm so sorry.